Yeah, it's good stuff. Live already? Damn, there's no countdown? Jamie, you're radical. You're radical. Mr. Bogosian, welcome back. Good thanks, to see you again, thanks. sir. Thanks, Good to be here. Thanks. Mr. Lindsay. Good to be James here. James or Jim, depending upon preferences. That's right. Go with Jim. Uh, Je first of all, gentlemen, and there, there was one other person that you did this with, this whole project. Helen Pluckrose from England. Uh, shout out to Helen from England. Uh, thanks. she back across the pond right she's now? She's across the pond. She's yeah. uh, fishing chips. and She's making tea and managing Aerial Magazine. That's oh, right. Excellent. All right. Well, shout out to her as well. Um, let's explain what you guys did and what's so significant about it because uh, it, it, when I first read it, my f first inclination, I, I had two reactions. One was a, a huge laugh. I laughed really hard. And then I said, thank God somebody exposed this. Yep. Yeah. So tell me, tell me what you guys did. Jim, go for it. Yeah. So well, over... for, let's explain who you guys are and what you oh, okay. do. Okay. Um, my background is in mathematics. I bailed out on academia in 2010, though, because I kind of see the writing on the wall. And uh, so now I am a renegade gender scholar, and I write nonsense about genitals. That's primarily what I do. <laughs> I mean, I manage a business at home, so I, I got out of academia. Yeah, and I'm a, uh, I teach philosophy at Portland State University, and uh, I met Jim years ago. We collaborated, and we've written a number of things over the years, and at some point it just came to be we had to do something about this. It was just too ridiculous, and it was translating into the real world, and so we collaborated, and here we are. Well, let's explain what you did and what was ridiculous. Um, what we're talking about, what was ridiculous, is... There's many fields of studies um, that you can get legitimate degrees in that are absolutely preposterous, right. uh, literally filled with nonsense, right. taught by mm -hmm. nonsense people yep. who live in these nonsense bubbles, right. and then they give these degrees, and these people go out in the real world, exactly. and they infect things. Yep. They inf their, their ridiculousness infects certain, particularly tech industry businesses. Yep. Like you, you see it infecting. Demore, James mm -hmm. Demore. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Well, well, let's explain what you guys did. Yeah. yeah, so we started about a year, I guess a year and a half ago now, it was last summer. We started writing a bunch of academic papers for the journals that represent these fields. And so everybody understands what an academic paper is getting out of the gate. This isn't like an op-ed that you dash off for like Washington Post or some magazine or whatever. This is a thing like academics work their careers to write one or two of these a year. Yeah. And so they're really hard to write. They're supposed to be hard to get published. So we wrote 20 of them in 10 months. <laughs> 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 and uh, seven of those got accepted. Four were actually published. And um, then we got at busted. least four more. Yeah, we got busted. And yeah. at least four more were on track. Maybe five or six more would have gotten in. What's the difference between getting accepted and getting published? So the process with everything in academia is really slow, and a lot of people don't know this. So you send off this article. The editor looks at it, and the editor either gives it the thumbs up or the thumbs down. If they give it the thumbs up, it goes off to peer reviewers, and that process takes months. Mm -hmm. uh, often as long as – I mean, we had one paper that was eight months under peer review. So the reviewers look at it. They try to figure out if the arguments are good. They try to figure out if the research is good. They evaluate that. They give extensive comments. They send it back to you. Then you have to revise it according to whatever they say. Make it better is what's supposed to happen. They made ours crazier. 
And so then <laughs> yeah. they did every single time. We took the feedback and made the papers just the most extreme things. Most but... extreme things. And so then you send them back. So now you're probably three, four months in just to the review process, not to the writing, which should also take months. Yeah. And then the editor will either send it back to the reviewers to see if it was good enough or they'll just evaluate it themselves depending on where it stands. And then they'll make a decision as to whether or not to accept right. it or reject it or ask for more revisions. And then when they accept it, that means the journal's ready to publish it, but then the publishing process requires all the typesetting, proofing, nice. all the stuff that goes into making it professional for an academic journal, and, and that can take months. And, and, and publishing is the coin of the realm. Like, that's it. So the ideal is one paper every year in the humanities broadly. So if you – that's how you credential yourself. That's how you get tenure, which is a job for life. That's how you get to teach people these ideas who then, as you said, go out into the workforce you know, five, six years later and in, infect everybody with total silliness. So the, it's the gold standard peer review. So we saw a tremendous problem. Can we tell people some of the titles of these sure. articles? Right now they're like, what the hell are these guys talking about? <laughs> So we had an article, the one that got the most press was about dog humping in Portland, Oregon. Um, it was called, how did it go? Was it called um, Queer Performativity and, uh, was it Rape Culture? Rape Culture. And Queer Performativity in Dog Parks in Portland, Oregon. Yeah, we, we claim to have examined under a fake name. Is that a all real fake word? Names. Performativity? Oh, yeah. Totally. Yeah, they have <laughs> their own lingo, their own, you know. But is that a word in the English language, performativity? I mean, in the academic English language, yeah, yeah. not in common parlance. But that's like the whole thing. This is huge, right? This goes back right. a long way. That's Judith Butler's whole thing was that Who's gender is Judith performed. Butler? Judith Butler is probably the most influential feminist scholar or gender scholar, actually, I should say, that, that's been in maybe the last 30 years. She's, she's big time. And so she had this whole thing that gender is performative. It's something you perform. It's not something that has anything to do with your <laughs> Retracted biology. Retracted articles. Oh, yeah, Human there it is. reactions to rape culture and queer performativity at urban dog parks in Portland, Oregon. Why is it retracted? Uh, because it's because because they realized it's that you guys were hosing them. Yeah. Human yeah, we, reactions to rape culture and queer performativity. We claim to have closely examined the genitals of... Just under 10,000 dogs. Just under 10,000 dogs, and then interrogated their owners as to their sexual orientation. So uh. we checked out the dog's nuts and then said, excuse me, sir, are you gay? Yeah. And you so asked that's them if they gendered their dogs? Yeah, well, we made up these totally insane, you know, dogs humping incidents and how they... They beat female dogs, but they didn't beat male dogs. So that's one of the papers that we made. You know, the other paper that well, we wrote. Well, this one also, they had the whole thing like if a male dog humps another male dog, especially men would freak out and break it up. Yeah. Stop that because that's the queer performativity part. Yeah. But then if a male dog humped a female dog, they'd be like, you know, get her, girl. Yeah. Get her, get her, you know, get on so it. So you're basically raging against heteronormativity. That's exactly correct. Yep. We told yep. them exactly what they wanted to hear. And we gave them bogus statistics to fuel what they already wanted to believe. Yeah, yeah. we started off with the idea that what we wanted to get to was a conclusion. And then we made up all the crap in between yeah. to get to it. And the conclusion was feminism should train men the way we train dogs so that we can get rid of rape culture. You know, put them on leashes. You know, yeah. it's right in the paper. It's all it there. Unfortunately, we cannot put men on leashes. It's not politically feasible to put men on leashes. You guys wrote that? Yeah. yeah to or they to publish yank it. their leashes when they misbehave. Yeah. And this so, paper didn't uh, just get published. The journal said that this was exemplary scholarship and gave it an award. <laughs> <laughs> 
So oh it's one God. of the. <laughs> oh my God. Yeah. So it's one of the best pieces. It's this year is their 25th anniversary. So this journal's been doing this for 25 years. Yeah. And it's their 25th anniversary. So they're picking out the best papers Exemplary. throughout the whole year yeah. and putting them, you know, pride a place in some some uh, issue of their journal. And ours was going to be in the seventh issue. Was, was so it the either one. is great or it's not great. So it's, it either is great or it's not great. Like, why are they retracting it? Oh, oh yeah. Because they know oh. we were, were bogus. So what? <laughs> you were right. Well, uh, It's like a broken clock. Yeah. The clock's broken, well, but it is actually 12 o'clock. So, so they, would, they would claim it's incorrectly that we fabricated statistics, but we, we wrote other papers. Called, one was fat bodybuilding. So they claim that there should be a category introduced in traditional bodybuilding called fat bodybuilding where people come and display their fat before the audience. And we didn't manufacture any statistics for that, and they loved that. They thought it, you know, one line in that paper was, a fat body is a built body, and then one of the reviewers was like, I wholeheartedly agree, or something like that. <laughs> oh, Jesus so Yeah, and then we wrote other papers, like, to Hypatia, we published, a, a, got accepted, not published, but that one, we claim that it's... Uh, it's unacceptable. It's, it's, uneth- it's unethical to make fun of anything to do with social justice. Right. And so if you want to make fun of things that don't have anything to do with social justice, that's good. So if we wanted to make fun of men, that's great. If you want to make fun of white people, that's great. If you want to make fun of uh, anything to do with social justice, that's a problem. So right. we, made, we, we said that you know South Park's a huge problem. The Simpsons is a huge problem. We went into talking about how Stephen Colbert and, and uh, John Stewart have the right idea, but then the journal was like, ah, but they're straight white males, so you have to you know nuance around that right. to make it clear that their position is white men, even though they're on the side of social justice, it's not quite good enough, you know. <sighs> so they published that. They published that. They published that. What was that? What was that one called? That one was called "When the Joke's on You." Yeah. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> And we made we, we wrote it so that they would think the joke is on us because we cited our own work in there. Right. But the yep. joke was actually on them for publishing it. Yep. Yeah. yeah. Duh. Yeah. Yeah. This it's so it's so funny how racist you can be as long as you're racist against white people. That's what we saw is that <laughs> as long as you are going up the river against privilege, then you can yeah. really just get away with some nasty stuff. Yeah. Yeah, and you can generalize. Like oh, totally. G- gross generalizations. Gross generalizations. Do not treat people as individuals. Absolutely. Nope. It's, it's very strange. It's very strange that this is the left. You know, I was a kid in San Francisco in the 1970s. Uh, we lived in, you know, like, there was the hippie times. And that's, I, I lived there from age 7 to 11. And it kind of formed a lot of my opinions about people, like, the who gives a shit part exactly. of my 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 appreciation for any group wh- whatever it is whether it's race or gender or sexual orientation and i just i don't understand it from either way i certainly don't understand it from a racist perspective but i, I really don't understand it from racism that's condoned because it's racism against white people oh yeah that this is the left this is that th- these are these are the people that are preaching against hate Mm-hmm. And these are the people that used to be the people that were supposedly so open-minded and so open to ideas, and now they're trying to stifle creativity right. and stifle dissent and stifle yep. stifle anything that doesn't fit inside that very narrow paradigm that they're trying to push. It's very strange. Yeah, they co-opted the, the civil rights movement. The good name of the civil rights movement is kind of the brand that they ride on. You know, they're fighting 
against racism. They're fighting against sexism, misogyny, et cetera. And the thing is, is that's not really what's going on here. They've actually tapped into this, to, to throw around the term, this postmodern notion that everything in society has to do with power dynamics. And the power dynamics have to be understood in terms of groups and how those groups have traditionally held power and exercised power. And so immediately it becomes stuck in this idea that it's all about this group or that group and how they relate to one another. And I don't mean like, hey, let's get along relate. I mean like white people are imagined to always be over black people and therefore, you know, there's always this natural power dynamic of of, of oppressor versus oppressed. And this is stuff that came straight out of this weird postmodern philosophy where you saw these dissatisfied French philosophers in the 60s, you know, all when this all this stuff you were talking about was going down. Um they saw all this stuff and they said, wow, you know, okay, power dynamics are the thing because I should go back a step. The the postmodern philosophers like Foucault and all of this got all hooked up on power because they were dissatisfied with seeing what they called grand narratives, Christianity, uh, capitalism, Marxism. They saw all these huge, you know, explanations for how the world works and said, you know, they're not working. Look how bad communism failed. Look how there's so much, you know, bullshit coming out of this or that from religion. It's not working. We need to just get rid of all of it. We're going to deconstruct this. We're going to break it down to its power dynamics. And then we're going to look at it in terms of who has masterhood over over who, who's oppressing what, where's dominance. And it's just kind of grown. It got picked up in the in the academic culture in the 1960s. That's how old this stuff is. And then it took this huge turn in the 1990s and got really vicious and that's where it really got you know that's when it turned intersectional actually that was during the political correct days that's that's when that's the political when... correct thing kind of blew up yeah is when all this stuff was coming out so that would have been you know late 1980s is really when all of this political correctness stuff started coming out of the academy and then a few years later you see it coming all over politics which is typically what happens it starts in the academy a few years later it leaks right. into the culture right and politics or media or the tech sector now, whatever it happens to be. The stifling of creativity is the, the most disturbing part about it. Like the, like the agreement that South Park and The Simpsons right. are a real problem. It's so bizarre because, like, here's the thing. If they miss the mark and it's not funny, it won't work. And mm -hmm. then it'll be a bad show and no one will like it. Mm -hmm. But if it's funny... There has to be something about it that people find ironic, mm. satirical. There has to be something about it that people are enjoying mm. that has to point to some truth. Yep. Mm. And the denial of this, and instead, like the saying, oh, it's white males that are causing this problem and you shouldn't attack this right. or that, or, you know, th there's subjects that are off limits and social justice should never be attacked. Like, the, to agree to that, mm. it, it's, so, it's so preposterous. This is life we're talking about. Yeah. This is literally the nuance of life. All the various strange things in the spectrum of human behavior and, and all the things you encounter in life. And to segment and limit what is and is not, what's off limits and it's not off limits based on race, mm. based on things that a person can't control at all. Mm. You're just born white. So if you're born white, you're born an oppressor, mm -hmm. right. you're born exactly. a victimizer, and right. if you're a white male, you're a fucking piece of shit. Right. And you can say that. White hetero male in particular. Oh, yeah. God. Mm -hmm. I, I mean, I've seen so many tweets from people that mean so many virtue signaling tweets, but one of my favorite ones is this feminist who said, all white, a, a white straight men are trash unless proven otherwise. <laughs> yeah, that's the thing, right? <laughs> All of us. All of us. All of us. All of There's us. 150 million of yeah. us. 
I mean, give or take, you uh, know, how many gay folks there are. Yeah, trash. Uh, yeah, trash! <laughs> no problem. Prove and it. Let's prove pro- it otherwise. And prove you're not, right? Yeah. How do you do that? That's you like witch trials. you got to be an ally. You have to be yeah. an ally. Oh, no, they, they ask us to problematize allyship, too. You see, there's power dynamics. Once you say, hey, I'm an ally, now you've made it so that you have, like, a shield where people can't call you a white supremacist anymore. Mm-hmm. And you are acting on behalf of other people in... You know, you're speaking for them, so you now have assumed power, that and was, you're reproducing the same power dynamics. Right. That so, was the Mein Kampf paper. Yeah, our paper right. that rewrote Mein Kampf oh. actually was two. about allyship, and they were like, <laughs> you didn't problematize allyship. Yeah, we had two, two of them that did Mein Kampf. One of them we just more or less replaced whites, we replaced Jews with white men. And you, 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 you literally took Mein Kampf, the actual words from Mein Kampf, yeah. and put it in this paper and replaced the word Jews with the word white men, and they accepted well, it. Well, we had two papers that did Mein Kampf. Yeah. We had two versions. <laughs> so that one did, did not get accepted. That one what, did not, what were the quotes that you guys used? I mean, so with that one, what, what we did was we took the whole document on, online and we just searched the word Jew. And we just started picking sentences and paragraphs. So what was it that at the end it was something like if we don't combat whiteness it's going to be the funeral wreath for mankind that's yeah. straight out of mind comp. <laughs> now they didn't ex- Yeah, they didn't they didn't oh. accept that paper though because that paper uh turns out was written from the perspective of a white lesbian who hated her own whiteness and they said that it was positioning her as a good white and yeah. because she's making herself out as a good white again allyship isn't as all it's cracked up to be, mm. she, you know, was making a problem. She should have really been forwarding the ideas of the black scholars that she read way more and not talking about herself so much, even uh, though it was a paper designed to be talking about yeah, herself. Yeah, because that was what Hitler did, so that's what we had to do. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> now, the uh, other Mein Kampf paper was about mm. feminism, and what we did was we took the chapter, it's chapter 12, we took the chapter where he says, this is why we should have the Nazi party and what is expected of people who are going to be part of it. And we took out our movement or party he didn't call it a nazi party in the chapter but everywhere he's like our movement took that out put in intersectional feminism and then oh. modified the words and added theory around it so that it would fly and theory yeah theory <laughs> that's what they call good, it i love that word yeah theory i love when feminist theory i love when they throw that <sighs> around like what are you saying but you're saying things that like oh, once you say that you're you're good like you've said, you can yeah. say something ridiculous and then say feminist theory, yeah. and they're like, "Oh, it's in feminist theory." Yeah, yeah that's Fem- the thing, right? Is so much of the stuff they come up with. Let me throw them an olive branch. Like so much of the stuff they come up with is a creative idea. Maybe there's something to some of this stuff, right? Yeah. Mm-hmm. But what they're putting forward is hypotheses, and then they're treating them as conclusions. So they're putting forward this idea. I saw one on Twitter today. It was something like, this is about South Park, how it's been laundering racism into society and making everybody comfortable with racism. And that's why everything's so racist and people are shooting Jews is because South Park made it normal. <laughs> oh. But that's a, that, they're treating that as a conclusion, but that's a hypothesis, right? So right. we could test that. It's conceivable that you could actually try to parse out what variables need to be controlled See, yeah. you know, South Park came out. It started doing these themes. What? How does it track? Statisticians can do kind of amazing things with that stuff, but they're not doing that. They're not testing it. And Instead of testing it, right. they're concluding it, and, and then, they're using theory to do so. And they're go, no, go ahead. no, no. It's even bigger than that because why don't they test it? Well, if they tested it, and this is, I'm not making this shit up. You won't believe me, but this is true. If they tested it and the test showed that their hypothesis was wrong. They would say that the test was racist, that the test is condoning racism, and that's why it didn't give them the desired result. How would you test something like that? Because 
I mean, I'm not a statistician. I actually am a mathematician, but I'm not a statistician. They're two different things. So I'm not exactly sure how you would test that. But conceivably, you could gather data, survey data, and see how attitudes have changed. Maybe you could track kinds of articles, kinds yeah, of who, events that are coming out. You could kind of pair that up with what's been shown who, on who, South Park. Yeah, who are at South Park and track that with attitudes. I yeah, mean, you but could... no, there's no effort to do this. They're like, oh, South Park presents these ideas, which they then cherry pick because there's other ideas that they don't talk about that are, uh -huh. you know, point the other direction. These ideas are problematic. That's the big word. Theoretically, that's a problem. Why? Because they, and I'm not joking, they literally believe that use of language creates the power dynamics that define society. So South Park's using language and imagery that creates a power dynamic that makes people more comfortable being racist. <laughs> Boom. Theory. Done. Right. No so they, test needed. No even attempt right. test. They and then if the test happened, the test itself would be racist unless it confirmed the hypothesis. Right. So they start with an agenda. And then you mentioned the word laundering, which could your former guest, Brett and Heather, talked about uh, idea laundering. I think that's important for the listeners. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. So what's, that's what, really what's going on here is um, they're forwarding these hypotheses. They, treat, they don't treat them as hypotheses. And then they write up a paper. Paper, like we were saying, is the absolute gold standard of academic work. They send the paper off. The reviewers, in our cases, made our papers crazier every single time. So they push it further <laughs> into the ideology or the madness. How does the reviewer do something like that? What what input do they well, get to have? They said, for example, that we should problematize allyship. If we're gonna, if we want our paper published, we've got to problematize allyship. I love that word, problematize. Yeah. Everything, everything is I, everything. Uh, problematize everything. Dog parks, problematize yeah. everything. <laughs> problematize literally anything can be problematized yeah. and looked at through a feminist lens. It's, it's, it's they a problematize great word. everything. Everything. The that's, whole world's a fucking <laughs> That's why we call it grievance studies. The whole world. Yeah, it's a grievance. Is it, they're they're massively okay. So then, but the do the the homo the transphobia. Yeah, thing. the trans <clears throat> paper. So we wrote this paper saying that straight men are generally transphobic, meaning in particular the the kind of niche weird definition that you see on the internet and activists sometimes that they aren't <clears throat> interested in having sex with trans people who have penises, trans women who have a penis in particular. And so we said, that, well, that's a kind of transphobia, and clearly the reason that they might be transphobic is because they don't practice putting things in their butts. <laughs> so if they start putting stuff up their butts, in particular, we called the paper dildos. So you can imagine what we were saying, that you put up the their butts. The whole paper was called dildos? No, that was, the, that was the nickname we gave it. The paper oh. was called going in through the back door. <laughs> really? Yeah. Really. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Go, going yeah. in through the back door. And, we, we and then there's a lot of technical can, words. Did that one get published? Yeah, that's, that's published. You can see it online. You can see it online. So we argued that that uh, if straight men just penetrated themselves and had their girlfriends peg them through exposure therapy, you know, you start small and then work your way up, you can remediate transphobia. Yeah, we'll make them less transphobic so as by a result. So self-penetrating or having your girlfriend peg you, you can be less transphobic. And they thought this is a great and idea. And so we based this off of, <laughs> off of eight interviews, really 13 interviews but with men. And I say really eight, 13. There were 13 interviews documented, but five of them were with gay people, not even straight people. So they don't really apply. So then we have these eight interviews with straight men. We made one of them a conservative. And he's just – so we could just put in like, you know, crazy things that a conservative might say about this. And they were like, why don't – why weren't there more conservatives participating? So I was like, well, I'm going to run with this. <laughs> and I, was, I wrote this whole thing. We invited six conservatives to participate and only one accepted. And to kind of summarize why in the words – and this is in the paper – in the words of one, I don't want to be a part of some stupid liberal study about shoving things up your butt. 
<laughs> and they published, they published it. that. Boom! Right <laughs> in. Right in. Right in. Oh yeah. my god. Oh. Yeah. So we wrote Here it. Is. Retracted article. Yep. <laughs> <laughs> Going in through the back door, right oh there. Oh my god! Now, did they contact you after they retract your article? They go, hey, "You guys are fucking assholes. You're um, wasting our time. We spent hours <laughs> reviewing your papers. We got a couple of pretty bitter." Responses, but mostly no. Mostly they've kind of put their head in the sand and kind of avoided talking to us. The, what, what I was saying before the show started that I read one article that was really diminishing the impact of what you guys have done, saying like, "What? It's not a big deal," you know. Wrong. <laughs> they, they were trying to make it seem as if what you guys had written was just a prank. Yeah, you know? that's that's not what happened. That's absolutely here. false. Yeah, there's a lot of papers that seem like parody. That make it through that you guys aren't writing. Oh, yeah. We could pull up one about how hot wings, like there's a TV show, Spicy Ones or something like that about hot wings. Oh, yeah. Yeah. The, the, the YouTube show. Yeah. Yeah. So they, they had a hot whole- Hot Ones? Hot Ones. That's what it was. They had a whole, uh, there is a paper out there about that show and it's all about how, you know, hot sauce has everything to do with masculinity and being manly and they didn't have enough women on the show. Problematized. Because it's sexist, and the hot hot sauce, I think, was the sexist part. Mm. And it has all these bizarre conclusions. We cited that in the paper we wrote about Hooters. <laughs> where we put in the part that there was you know, masculinity contests of eating the hot wings. Who can eat more hot wings? And then they'd say, oh, I ate 20 hot wings. Ask out the Hooters girl. Professor. Um, Wing yeah. eating show hot ones is problematic. See, for women. problematic. He's an ally. There we go. Yeah, but that's a real paper, right? So we cited that paper. It's real. There are thousands of papers like this. <laughs> the there it spicy is. spectacular there food, is. gender, and celebrity on hot ones. And so, as a professor, he probably teaches this stuff to yeah. his students, right? So mm. now everything's problematized. And this is what credentials him. You get seven of, in general. You it get seven Emily, of these. It says it's a woman. Seven years. Yeah. Emily, yeah, yeah. she wrote it. But who's the other one? Tisha, at the end, who wrote that introduction? Oh, what's the difference? There's um, two people there. Oh, it's a commentary. Is it? Is it an article about the article? Yeah, that's probably what's going on. Is commentary and criticism? Hmm. Yeah, this is. It looks like. I mean, I haven't read this specifically. But <laughs> Wait a minute. Listen to the first statement. <laughs> Food media have been recognized as cultural artifacts that reference culturally and historically specific ideals of gender. Exactly. Drawing on the simultaneously mundane and ominous <laughs> <laughs> qualities of food as a medium for interrogating. Interrogating ideas about feminism and identity performance. See what I was telling you. Shut the fuck right. up. This it's is all there, man. This That's is like what everything we're talking we talked about. about. This is such unbelievable horseshit. No, that this person it's... is teaching at Central Michigan University. Yeah, yeah. This is for uh, real. This uh, is for real. Uh, and so there is now a an ever expanding group of these <laughs> folks. They teach. Do you want to read more of it? It's so it? fucking funny. <laughs> in this commentary this and criticism section, the authors introduce a diverse sample of case studies that demonstrate the emergence of feminist ideas in and through food media. Oh, yeah, man. <laughs> what the fuck are you talking about? They're really about? worried about that. What? Get a job! Get a real job! Go out there and work. Do something that someone wants to pay for. Do Engage something of value. Engagement with hot sauce. God, this is so crazy. Right. Uh -huh. And this is what they're teaching our kids. Racial assumptions inherent to post-feminist food culture. Oh, yeah. I was going to write a paper about how cornbread is being gentrified, and that's why we'll never get over racism. Because oh. white people are making, like, pumpkin spice cornbread. There's something that I tweeted the other day about some – Gad Sad tweeted it, and I retweeted it. 
about some some woman. She's taking back bone broth. Oh, I saw that. Oh, yeah, yeah, that's good. What in the fuck are you yeah. talking about? People yeah. have been cooking bone broth for <laughs> thousands of years. <laughs> thousands of years. It's a way of getting nutrients from the the, the food you they eat. They problematized it. Yep. Oh, my, look at this. Queer woman of color wants to decolonize <laughs> bone broth. Stop appropriating my culture. Uh, it's, yeah. it's Gad Sad. He's awesome. Uh, that is so fucking preposterous. A queer woman of color. This is what I'm saying, man. There's a thousand papers <sighs> like this out there for every one we wrote. Yeah, a yeah. thousand of them that you might as well have written. Well, you couldn't tell if we did or didn't. That, yeah, and that's ones. part of the thing is people can't differentiate what we've done. I mean, in fact, not only can they not differentiate it, they give us an award. So they can't differentiate it from the stuff that's already out there and the stuff that's already out there is polluting people's minds. Now, you you guys you guys at least you used to work in academia, you yeah. work in academia. Like yeah. what is how how are your peers treating this? Are you, people <laughs> mad at you? There are well, Pete has, is going to have a lot to say about that, I think. But for me, I've had two from academic people, I've had two kinds of responses. But the overwhelming of but some of those are like, "Ah, oh, you guys." And then the overwhelming of them are the same thing over and over and over again. And I mean a lot of people, thank you so much for doing this, but I can't, don't can't tell anybody. I right. just, I'm trying to get idea. a job. I, right. I, I'm up for tenure. I can't talk about, thank you. This mm, needs to go. And that's everywhere. Tenure. It's everywhere. Oh. You can't proceed through academia now unless you bow to this stuff. Tenure sounds like tyranny. It did, the, the whole thing sounds preposterous that you can keep a job for life. Like, well, the idea was supposed to be that you work your ass off for a few years, and then you right. it was supposed to be to defend academic freedom. Yes. So you get tenure, then you can go forth and put out some crazy ideas, really like dig into some stuff, and they can't fire you for you know coming up with maybe weird stuff. And then people would argue about it. But now it's kind of become the situation where people get in this situation. They get in their job, and then you can't get rid of them. Yeah. Right, right, right. Yeah. <clears throat> what is yeah. there a way to fire people? Well, if they do something like sexual harassment, then usually yeah, yeah. that you can find a way around the tenure thing. Mm. So, what is it like for you now? You you are actually it's super teaching. uncomfortable. Are people upset at you? The, the, yeah, I'd say they're enraged. <laughs> uh, <laughs> you know, I mean the only the only thing I can think of it's like is if if you taught at a Christian school and then you went in and. You know, took videos and posted them on YouTube of defecating the Bible, and then just walked into the school. So I think it, it's kind of similar in that they they have bought hook, line, and sinker into microaggressions, trigger warnings, safe spaces, diversity and issues. There, there are no, there's no questioning. There's, and and it's something for me that makes me deeply uncomfortable when my students can't ask questions when when they they can't. They're, they're just uncomfortable to voice their opinions about things. And I think that, that pe- to say the least, a lot of people are enraged at me. But exactly what Jim said, some people will come and like, oh, thank you so much. Like, I, but again, I can't be public about this. What is the ratio? I mean, for me, it's like 95% people who are really happy it happened and can't let it be known. Mm-hmm. But I'm not, you know, facing these people every day. Yeah. Well, you know, through the videos from Evergreen State, <clears throat> you can mm. see Brett Weinstein's interactions with not just students, but also some of the professors that were there. There were some of these preposterous people that he had to work with oh, right? yeah. that are buying in hook, line, and sinker to this stuff. And they live in these insulated worlds. Absolutely. And, this, and they just they, they create these people 
that also want to stay inside these insulated worlds and then just, just sort of stew in these ideas and then again go out into the real world. Yeah, and they think they're better people as a result. Yeah, right. Yeah, so that's th the big trick. They're doing the good work. Yeah, because yeah. to like question this, maybe to look at it and say, ah, you know, that kind of looks like bullshit, but. I don't know. A lot of these guys are left-leaning people or outright leftists. A lot of them want to do the right thing, right? Yeah. They really do. These people really care about progressive <laughs> agendas, mm -hmm. uh, you know, getting over any lingering discrimination that's going on, racism, sexism, et cetera. They really want to do the right thing. Good for them, right? That's yeah. what we want. But they actually have to question or, like, run county. You think of that, like, as a, as a river of morality running through, them, through their mind. They actually have to go upstream a little bit, and that's hard. It feels weird. You have to say, wait a minute, maybe this scholarship, maybe this stuff isn't the best way to do it. Mm. But then the first thought you have is, well, these guys are these, – these people in these disciplines, grievance studies, are, are fighting racism. So if I go against them, then I'm going against the people fighting racism, so maybe I'm helping racism. And that's what we keep – if we get any criticism, that's what it always is. You're helping racists. You're a tool of the right, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Yeah, you're a racist. Yeah, or we are outright racists. Yeah, outright racists and, <clears throat> and accused of being alt-right mm. if you disagree with any of this stuff. Any of it. I get accused of being alt-right all the time. I lean so far left. Right. Universal <laughs> health care, universal basic income. Right there. Uh, I, free schooling. I think, I think education should be free. I think we should pay for I believe in a lot of socialist ideas. Totally. But – I'm right wing, right? Because yeah, yeah. I make fun of people that right. want to study problemization of dogs fucking. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> I mean, this is really where it is. That's where it is. Like, if you look at like whether I support gay rights, women's rights, I'm all, I'm on all board. The all of them. Right. I'm on board with all that shit. Yeah. I'll take more of my taxes. I, I fucking yeah. I can right. I can afford to pay more if I really believe that people are going to get real health care right. and real education. We're the same. I would be totally same. fucking very happy. Very yep. happy. Yep. If I thought it was all being appropriated and used correctly, fuck yeah. Let's let's make the world a better place. So that's the thing, right? Is if all this scholarship that they were doing on race and gender, all that, that's important stuff. Right. So if they're doing that right, why wouldn't you want to be behind it? Right. But they're not doing it right. How do I know? Because I made up papers about dog humping and made up the conclusion before I wrote the paper, and then, boom, they publish it and give it an award. Also, if I can start with the conclusion— and then work backwards to that conclusion, then I'm not doing rigorous scholarship. I'm making shit up. Well, also, there's no room for dissent. And there's none. No Absolutely room. none. Yeah. Zero. None. And, and in academia, you can't even – you have to teach whatever the moral orthodoxy is. So just imagine this. Going into a university, you're trying to – your young mind, your young kid – and I'm deeply concerned about these kids. They're going in. They never hear the other side of an issue about immigration. They never hear the other. They, so they become brittle over time. So when they hear it, they just they don't know what to do. They're shocked by it. Professors are terrified that, that they'll get a complaint. They'll have to go to the diversity board. I've been told that I'm not allowed to render my opinion about protected classes. When and you I had teach a, ethics. And I teach ethics. I don't teach accounting. Protected classes. Yeah, protected like, classes. I've also – that's a <clears throat> great question. That that, thank you for asking me. That. I've <laughs> asked for a definition of protected classes, a list of protected classes. I didn't receive any. Uh, I'm but not, yet you can be criticized yeah, for – Yeah, I cannot, I cannot offer – fired for it. Yeah, yeah, I cannot but offer – there's no list. Under, oh, no, 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 no. No, for, so, so – yeah, I was up on a Title IX violation. I'm not. You I'm were not, up for a violation. A for Title what? IX violation. Well, that what I is can't, a Title IX violation? Title IX violation is serious shit. It's federal discrimination law in universities. Yeah. You were? Yeah. You? yeah. You? What did you do? I can't talk about it. It's legal. Okay. It's legal. But but among the other things that came out in that meeting were uh, 
I'm not allowed to render my opinion about a protected class. And so, for example, uh, I can't. So homosexuals, I know, are covered under protected classes. You can't uh, have an opinion on homosexual people? I can have an opinion, but I can't. What if it's a positive opinion? Well, so the example that was used in class was evident, evidently I made a comment. Okay, so let's take a step back. Okay. So this is an ethics class, and I was talking about how uh, sexual choice does not fall into the realm of morality. So if if a guy's gay and he likes another guy, that's just not a moral thing. That's just preference or yeah it just is what it is like yeah. a matter of taste sure and some i don't remember the whole thing but someone in someone in the class said well you know you shouldn't have taste or something or you shouldn't have and i can't remember the exact frame because i'm getting this third hand from the from my violation you know so my, my someone trial came to someone else so somebody said in class well what about this and i i made the comment i said Everybody has something. Everybody has a preference. Like you can't say that no one had a preference. I said right. it, it would be as if it, it was. It would be as if I said, "Well, you know, I don't want to date someone who's four hundred pounds." So that comment then got turned into something when they called somebody else in the Office of Diversity and Inclusion called someone else in, and it was made that I was rendering my opinion about people who were four hundred pounds. When my what I was doing is saying that homosexuality itself, there's no there's no reason to give that. It's it's just not a moral thing. But people lump it in. But the main point of this whole thing is that we have situations in which professors can't talk about protected classes. Students are afraid to ask questions. Everybody's walking on eggshells, and the students aren't learning. And phrases are taken out of context. Phrases are taken out of context. Now, now, if you want a place to go to celebrate whatever the reigning moral orthodoxy is, then the university is a great place for you. Did you explain what you meant by saying that you, like, saying you don't want to date people over 400 pounds? Did you explain the context of the use of... She wasn't interested in the context of it. <laughs> and the trick is he didn't even say he doesn't want to date people over yeah. 400 pounds. He, he said, said it's, it's like as if exactly. I said that. I phrased it as a hypothetical. Right. Right. So there are entire things... But if you had said... Maybe I don't like I don't want to date people over seven feet tall. Maybe you could have got away with that. Yeah, I don't think people over seven feet tall are a protected class. Right, you could have got away with that. Yeah, even though it's still basically so, the same thing. It's a preference issue. So I mentioned this to one of my colleagues, and he said to me, "Oh, you that's you can't say that. You should never have said that." And I said, "Really? Why?" He said, "Well, you should have said, well, well, I don't like dating blue or green people." I'm like, why? They're, they don't they're, exist. They're, they, they don't, there are no blue or green people. Who is that going to resonate with? they start with? coming around, man? And Who? then they become a protected class. And then someone goes right. back blue and looks at what you said 10 years ago about right. blue or green people. So that's and how. And you get fired. Right. And that's how that works. Uh, if you look at, there's <clears> all this stuff been coming out about victimhood culture and yeah. how it propagates and how it develops. And that's one of the things. It's called competitive victimhood. Right. Um, you could call competitive it competitive Competitive. That's, that's the formal term of people I who study this. I love that. Yeah. <laughs> and that's wonderful. When people are fighting over who's a bigger victim. But you oh. see it all the time. It's like you see people in society, it's like, oh, the Black Lives Matter people go nuts, and then all of a sudden the white supremacists are out, and they're like, ah, oh, white people have it hard too. The second they, the second somebody hears, oh, black people have it hard, somebody's got to be like, white people have it hard too. That's competitive victimhood. Right. And so then, when you have oh. like a moral economy, if you will, where you can kind of cash in and gain status or gain access to to speaking or whatever it happens to be by holding a certain status of of victimhood or grievance, 
then you're going to find people competing to find ways to get that for themselves. Yes. Right. Everybody's going to go. I mean, you have the infrastructure there. Everybody's going to go after trying to maximize their own utility within that. Yeah. So people over seven feet tall aren't a protected class yet. But the second they realize that they might be able to cash in on it, they w- might lobby for Competitive it. Competitive victimhood. Grievance jockeying, oh. it's been also yeah, called. Yeah, I've called it grievance jockeying. I think Gadsad, since you mentioned him, called it the Oppression Olympics. Yep. Yeah. It's, oh, it's wonderful times. <laughs> it really is. So I mean, if you look at the root, so here's the, the thing that we thought about extensively. If you look at the root, where is this stuff coming from? All of this stuff is coming from these the canons of knowledge, their bodies of literature, their peer-reviewed. <laughs> and that's the idea laundering thing again, which we yeah, should get yeah. to. So all of that stuff is coming from from this. And if you want to make if you want to get back to constructive politics, to get back to people having conversations. And that's the thing. Like, that's, I think, one of the reasons that your show has been so successful is it's a it's a combination of authenticity with you can have you're totally willing to have conversations with no holds barred, right? You can't have that in the academy. Mm-mm. So people need to go to you to hear these thoughts and to wrestle with ideas and to engage. It's just it, – well, you, can, you can't it, it, really do it anywhere else other than a podcast. Well, you because, can't do it in the academy. But you can't even do it on the Today Show. They fired Megyn Kelly right, for right. What, asking why is blackface racist, right. which is a stupid fucking question, no <laughs> doubt. She's not a bright woman in, in that regard socially, right? It's, so, it's a uh, very clumsy, clunky thing to say. Clunky. But they just fire her. They fire her. Yep. They what they should have done was brought in black scholars and black intellectuals exactly. for a week just exactly. to fucking grill her. Exactly. And that would have been amazing television. But yeah, that yeah. attitude that you have is not what they have. So right. they well, want to punish panic. the transgressor, right? Do they, they, well, they, well, I they, think they just want to stop hemorrhaging. And I think they didn't like her anyway. I mean, well, the, that's the, word, true. the word is they really didn't enjoy her and that she wasn't a nice person and she was a... A mean but it was a learning set. moment, right? It was a teaching moment that's lost now. Yes, yes, yes. But, yes. But it's think, lost. But think about it in terms of what we were talking about earlier, where the, the scholarship's stretching back again to the 60s. You have this idea that all of society is constructed out of power dynamics that are mediated through language, media, imagery. And so she just now became problematic, mm. and she put out <laughs> ideas that would be dangerous and poisonous. Not yeah. something to discuss the merits or dismerits of, not something to work through, not something as a teachable moment. She put out an idea that's dangerous. She can't put out ideas anymore. Well, you know, it was really interesting, too. She tried. She was so disingenuous in how she approached it. It was so obvious. You know, what a, a black person is it? Why is it wrong for a black person to dress as a white person? Mm. It's not. No mm. one ever said that. Why are you pretending? You're just setting it up so that you could say a white person wearing black ma- blackface. Right. Yeah. Th- well, think, about the, think about the other cultural moment there, too. So, like you said, they bring in black scholars. And at the end of that, she said, you know, I really listened to that. And yeah. I didn't know that. And I was wrong and i'm changing my mind there was like, this woman on twitter that said her video looked I, I retweeted it that it looked like a hostage video yeah yeah. <laughs> the yeah, only yeah. thing that was missing was her holding up a newspaper that showed the date i saw that yeah yeah <laughs> yeah yeah, yeah it's australian woman yeah ah! 
The whole thing is so fucking funny. But that is one of the worst ways to, to really dissect ideas. Because first of all, there's a studio audience. That, that fucks everything up. Right. Second of all, you have these massive time constraints. Mm -hmm. And then you have advertisers. Then you have a bunch of executives that are all cowards. They're all just ready to pull the trigger on anything. Yeah, yeah, Anytime yeah. they can blame you for anything that went wrong and get rid of you or fire you, fire Fire him. Get rid of him. Get yeah. rid of him. Bring in the next person. You know, mm -hmm. and then they'll, what they'll most likely do is to to show they've learned they'll hire an all black crew. Right. For, for the, A diverse crew. Yes. That's, right. that's all they're going to do. Yeah, yeah. Yep. As a matter of fact, I think I've read. Isn't aren't they doing that? See see if they do that. They're replacing Megan Kelly with a, a crew of of color. <laughs> it's just, think about where that works, right? It works. You said they're cowards. They're afraid they're gonna you know damage their brand or whatever it is. Yeah. Where does that work? Or who works on that? Bullies, right? So these people, why are they so pervasive in the academy? Why are they so so pervasive in media? They know they can bully these people. They know that they can go lean on this stuff. And somebody's going to be cowardly, and then they're going to be able to, you know, make something change in the direction they want it to change. Right. You see it even creeping into politics. They they try to do it with policymakers. You see it a lot more in, in a lot of other countries. Right now, we're in this massive, like, backlash against it in American yeah. politics. How's that going? You know, did, did, did 2016 <laughs> help your progressive agenda, gang? <laughs> Holy mm. crap. Well, that is a part of the problem with the what – what are they saying? So, yeah, look at this. Today, as you know, we're starting a new chapter in the third hour of our show as it evolves. It's evolving. It's a fucking living being. We want you to know the entire Today family will continue to bring you informative and important stories, just as we always have. And look, two black guys and a brown chick. <laughs> That's 100% diverse. We, we got rid of the it's ice princess. It's all diverse. That's the thing. Yeah. The way that diversity is de uh, defined. If you had a panel that was just black guys, it would be 100% diverse. Yeah, so they've redefined the word diversity. They've yeah. redefined the word inclusion. So, yeah. but, but to people outside the academy, they, they think, oh, diversity, it's a great thing, right? You know, right. We have, but that's not what it means. It means kind of when everybody has the same ideas about something. It, it's also when you, if you're enforcing diversity – for what look, we we have to we would have to find out like ultimately the goal is to find out what what causes people to succeed and especially succeeding in something that is benign as talking right you're just talking mm. that's all you're doing so what causes someone to succeed in talking what makes their ideas valuable what makes them someone you enjoy listening to and then finding like what what impediments there are to that in in all the various communities and fix it at the root level what doesn't work is saying we need one chinese lady right. we need one black guy and we need one white guy because if you do something like that you're not going to get the best show nope or you're not going to get the best anything well you're not even guaranteed to achieve the goal you're claiming so it's again it goes back to theory in theory and I mean theory in terms of postmodern critical theory that this stuff's all based in that we studied. The idea is that if you have a particular identity, now you have a particular view of the world. And people of other identities have different ones. Mm. And in fact, there's this whole thing called standpoint epistemology that says that if you have a marginalized identity, you know more about the world than other people because you live in two worlds at once. So the, uh, the idea is, oh, if we get a black guy in here, he's had a different life experience. Therefore, he can speak truly to that. If you get a Chinese lady in here, she can speak to that, so on and so forth. So the guess is that by virtue merely of bringing in people who look different, 
with different uh, races or genders or sexes or sexualities, then you automatically get a diverse set of opinions. But that doesn't work. That's not how that actually works. You could take people of every race, educate them on the exact same social justice curriculum, and they all think exactly the same thing. But at least in something like hosting the Today Show, you are just talking. Once you put these sort of diversity standards to something like mathematics, oh yeah, that's that's when things get super squirrely. It's yeah, like, they're trying to do that a little bit. I'm you sure retweeted yeah. that thing I wrote about mathematics, and they wanted people to sign an equity, which is another yes. word that they've co-opted. They wanted folks to sign an equity statement and a diversity statement. And the thing well, is, explain it, that. Explain what they're trying to. That you 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 have a commitment to diversity. Yeah, you have a commitment to diversity, and you have a, a commitment to equity. And so equity does not mean treating people equally. It's not like you have a commitment to equality, which is we should all have a sure. commitment to equality. Uh, it's Equity is defined differently. It's to make up for past injustices or to make up for um, some deficiency that has occurred somewhere along the line. So yeah, you, affirmative action is an equity movement. It's to treat people differently in order to level the playing field. Yeah. So it's not treating people. It's not treating people equally, and that's the yeah. key thing. It sounds right. like it is, but it's right. not. It's a word that they've smuggled in, so straight out of the literature. Again, it's again yeah. out of all the stuff comes back to the literature. So if you look at the word equity in the dictionary, you get one definition. But if you look at the word equity as they're applying it, yeah, in sociological definitions, it's a very specific thing that means something slightly different yeah. from what people assume So it here's means. the question you should ask somebody. Anytime you hear someone use the word equity, just ask, oh, I'm, I'm curious, why didn't you use the word equality? Can, mm. can, you, th can you think of a – would the sentence be the same? Would the meaning be the same? Well, the meaning is not the same. That's why they used equity and not equality. Well, equity is a finance word. That's why it's weird. Equity is also yeah. a fun, yeah. yeah so yes. they don't make up new words, right? They, right. they co-opt. Yeah, they co-opt. They change, and then they smuggle them. Diversity, inclusion. Yeah. And they write one? these academic papers, and they come up with these ideas. They start with their conclusion. They push it through. It gets published. And that's just like – it's like the academic equivalent of money laundering. Yes. Right? So <laughs> yes. What, how does money laundering work? <laughs> yes. You take some money. You got you know, ill-gotten money. You put it through – you know, this shell company or this thing or the other thing, and it comes back to you, and now it's had a legal trail that makes it legit, right? Well, here you take some prejudice, you write it down as an academic paper, you publish the thing, it gets the academic standard stamp on it, it's the gold standard of knowledge now, and now this is this prejudice you started with now looks like legitimate knowledge right. that can go straight in the classroom, it can go straight to exactly. activists or policymakers. It's a real problem. Yeah, and when it's then it's really and, funny though that you're just saying it's like academic money laundering. It is. It, yeah. it is. Yeah, that's Brett. That's just <laughs> Brett Weinstein said that. That Brett Weinstein said that, <laughs> and that's what it is. It comes out the other side as knowledge. Yeah. So then they think they have knowledge. Right. So yeah. Our, our paper about the dildos. The guy said this paper is an important contribution to knowledge. Yeah. Who said that? The, the reviewer one, I think. Out of reviewer the, one, who yeah. the fuck are you? Yeah, <laughs> important contribution to knowledge. I, I would hope reviewer one was just hitting a bong right before he wrote that, <laughs> yeah. just baked out of All his right. mind, right. laughing, <laughs> laughing right. at the whole knowledge. thing. Knowledge. Who? Yeah. What kind of person gets attracted to wholeheartedly agreeing? to these ridiculous ideas? Like, what What are the people like? It's a great question. I think it's people who want to save the world. Well, we, I think we'd all like to save the world. Yeah. I'm much more cynical than they, you. But. Yeah, they've got a... <laughs> <laughs> no, they've got, they've, they've got this idea that 
I mean, we talked a moment ago about about privilege, and we kind of you know brushed real close the idea that it fits kind of like original sin. Mm. And so they see that the the downside of privilege, the opposite side, discrimination or racism, sexism, et cetera. Hate is the big word, you know. Fight hate. Or he's he's using hate. This is hate speech. That's where I think they got the the term. That's like the evil thing. You're born with privilege. That's like original sin. So what do they want to do? They want to they want to fix they save the world by clearing out the evil of privilege by clearing out hate from the world. The, for them, utopia means nobody hates, and by hate we mean something like racism, sexism, et cetera. So it's a noble idea, but then when you you start looking at it in this like ridiculous way, like you're born with privilege and now you're just stuck with it, right? What can you do? It's original sin. You can be sorry for it. You can try to be an ally and work it off. You can check it, whatever the hell that means. You can do a lot of things, but you can't actually atone for it. You can't get over it. You can't get rid of it. Then you get the situation where it's like they really, really need to take desperate measures like let's lock it all down. Let's let's tell these people that they're wrong. Let's try to point out how white supremacy is in them because they're white. Let's point out how masculinity is an ideology that needs to be destroyed. That was Lisa Wade. She wrote that last year. Uh, masculinity is an ideology yeah, that needs right. to be destroyed? Yeah, it needs to be masculinity. Because yeah. Trump. And this is the thing, right? I think in the, in the past couple of years, of course, before Trump, it wasn't. You, they had other avatars. I think there's a lot of anger and frustration, justifiably so, at Trump. And they see this. And so I read so many other, usually op-eds, not their academic pieces, and it's like, men are like this. Men are blah, blah, blah. And you can tell they're just talking about Trump. But they can't touch him, so they're pissed off and they try to take it out on all men. I think that's like a huge thing. They see these problems. They exaggerate the problems. They practice problematizing. And that's a thing, right? They practice this stuff. You go to school. It's in the general ed curriculum. Maybe they major in this stuff. You get good at finding problems. I was just talking yesterday. came over. I never actually – I got to Los Angeles a couple times before, but I've never been to the beach. I never actually made it down. So I went down to Santa Monica. I go to one of these burger places right on the on the right by the pier and it says that this is the burger that made Santa Monica famous. And immediately you saw the hot ones thing, right? I was like there's a paper in this. <laughs> you see the problems. Here you have this manly double cheeseburger being marketed. That's what made Santa Monica famous? Oh, so manly food culture is the kind of like um, colonialism that goes and makes a city become a city. It become, makes a place into a place. And you could, I could write a paper about that in three days. Do you have to have credentials to write a paper? Do no. you have to have a PhD? No, no, technically not. And that's a sad thing because their response to this has been, oh, we're going to screen better to see who is actually writing these papers so they can't trick us. But well, that's how could bullshit. possibly trick you? The point is that well, scholarship is <laughs> that it should stand on its merits. Right, if the yes, argument's solid, right. if the research is good, and they thought our research was good. That's so, my point about the dog humping thing. Yeah. It's, they should leave it the way it is if they're saying that this is such an important piece. Right. Well, I mean, I would walk back on that one because we did make up the data. <laughs> <laughs> and falsifying data is not cool. Well, what data would be incorrect? Like what when you? Oh, did we didn't even go to the dog park. Well, <laughs> <laughs> we definitely didn't ask anybody about their dogs or their genitals or yeah, anything. I bet you could have. And I mean, we said that, similar results. We said that there's a dog crapping on another dog's head in the paper, and like that didn't happen. I'm sure that didn't happen, and maybe it did happen. Oh, yeah. Who's? I mean, this stuff is insane. But we had other papers that didn't do that. Fat bodybuilding didn't do that. The one that's when the jokes on you didn't do that. There was no made up data in most of our papers, and. Why shouldn't those stand, right? right Why exactly. shouldn't they stand by those? Exactly. I yeah. can get it. Okay, because they we... can't differentiate real scholarship from bullshit because they're in this crazy ecosystem. Yeah. 
in which their ability to make discerning judgments about things has been dulled because they put an agenda before the truth. I keep seeing all these academics coming like they got their gotcha moment on us. They're like, ah, oh, I read your paper. It's actually a real paper. It's good. Yeah, how crazy is that? It's like, yeah, thanks for noticing, you know, asshole. That's exactly what we were trying to do. We weren't writing just stupid pranks. The dog park paper is pretty funny, but we were actually trying to learn what's going on there. Thanks for noticing. Somebody finally did. But that means, of course, they don't want to admit that we actually learned this stuff because then when we say it's shit, they're stuck with somebody who knows what they're talking about saying it sucks. And they don't want that either. <laughs> now, when you said there's people that are trying to save the world, yeah. like what, what, do you, what do you really mean by that? I think they're the people who are trying to build the kingdom of God on the planet Earth, it's, you know, to draw a metaphor, a religious metaphor. They are people who see an evil and they want to purge the world of that evil by any means necessary. And the evil being like privilege, privilege, hate, yeah. privilege, hate, and it's white the, supremacy. It's the new religion. So Patriarchy. Christianity goes down. It's just you know the Game of Thrones. The mm-hmm. only reason you need new gods are because people don't believe in the old gods. Right. And so we have these religious modules or what have you in our brain, and the new religion is intersectionality. And we see and that really is what it is. It's right? exactly what it is. Yeah, and the parallels are. We've staggering. been writing about that and talking about that for years. Yeah, I've been studying religious real. psychology for yeah. years, and it's it's all over the it place. Is, in this. It is political correctness is and paralleled even, with blasphemy. The, it's the even same the thing. Parallels of heresy. The yep. parallels. Of, that's exactly that's right. Exactly heresy. Right. Yeah. Yep. I mean, it's it's so stunning how easily people sort of slide into right. these preconditioned slots. Here's the one difference. And I think this is a key difference. The reason that it's easier, and I, I mentioned this to Pendulet when we did a talk, and he just couldn't believe it. The reason that it's easier to talk to a Christian, for example, about faith or about their religion is because at the end of the day, it comes down to faith. These people don't have any faith. They have knowledge, quote unquote. They have their bodies of scholarly literature, which were idea laundered. That's what they have. Mm, so yeah. they can point to these things and say, well, I don't have any f- – I know. I, well, how do you know? Well, Robin DiAngelo's white fragility. How there's do you know? There's a study. There's a study. Yeah, there's, there's a study. Yeah. There's a study. Yeah. There's a study. Well, I know how <clears throat> so st- some of those studies are written, and I don't <laughs> trust them. <laughs> and you yeah. shouldn't trust them either. Yeah. 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 Well, you see that – I mean, even in nutrition. I mean, you see it in everything This, this in, in terms of like almost a religious – or religion-like acceptance exactly. of specific ways of eating or specific right. ways of communicating, specific ways of being. It's, it's just so strange how people seem to have this natural inclination to adopt predetermined patterns of behavior. Right. Yeah, I think actually there's pretty decent understanding of that from, from the perspective of moral psychology. You've got this idea that somebody has, has seen something as good. So it elevates them. It makes them better. So clean eating might be good, right? Whatever clean eating means. For some people, it's vegan. For some people, it's like all you eat is grass-fed beef. Who knows? But you've got clean eating and you've got dirty eating and you go into the clean thing. And so you've got this kind of like purity thing. And eventually, you take this so seriously that it becomes kind of a sacred value to you. Well, what's sacred mean? You know, we have this kind of vague sense, oh, you know, holy, this, that, that's sacred. And it's something really important to somebody. Well, what it really means is that it's taken on so much moral importance to somebody that they no longer will allow it to be questioned. Mm. When something's sacred, it's now been removed from the the sphere of being doubted, questioned, or whatever. Mm. And so when you have this idea like that, um, let's say that that privilege is the cause of of racism, and you've elevated that, or the, the problem with everything in society even, and you've elevated that to like a sacred value that can't be questioned. You can't say, 
maybe there's another dimension to it. That's when you start getting these kind of religious-like behaviors. You start getting these, these problems because you've got a place where it can't be, A, questioned, B, made fun of. We were talking about the comedy earlier. This is killing comedy, right? It's absolutely killing comedy because you can't make a joke because if the joke goes a little bit wrong— now you're, you, you've committed a heresy, you're a blasphemer. They're gonna... Yes, but no, because people love when you go against it. That's true. Like the, so... weight, the weight of it is there, but when you resist it, people scream and throw yes, their hands up. Yes, yes, yes. So this is really interesting, because if we take their theory about humor at face value, right, that you can only go against a power thing. So we say, okay, you know what? We wrote a paper, one of our papers, The Jokes on You, is about that. Let's say they're right. Why do people love it? Well, it's because everybody knows these guys, these guys have power. They're trying to pretend that they don't have power, that they are the victims, they're the oppressed. Meanwhile, they're bullying everybody into everything. They're firing people for saying the wrong thing in class, you know, whatever it is. That's only possible if they have power. And the joke, when South Park makes fun of, like, what was it, PC principle or whatever? When South Park makes fun of that, the only reason people laugh, if their theory is right, is because they're powerful. Mm. Mm. If their theory is wrong, because it's just funny, then we can talk about something different. But if they're actually right, if they're actually making a point here, they're not recognizing that they're admitting that they have seized a lot of cultural power. And that's why people celebrate when, when you go back against this stuff. That's why people have sent us so many emails like, this is the greatest thing ever. Thank you so much for doing this. There's all this sh- shit like, you guys are heroes, blah, blah, blah. Why? Because they wanted to see you laughed. Why? Because it's funny as hell is why. And why? Because these people are... They're, they're influencing the shit out of stuff. Yeah. And if they weren't, if they were just, you know, victims who don't have a voice, who can't make any impact, who aren't bullying people, everybody would be like, why are you bullying those guys? Why are you being a dick? Right? But everybody thinks it's funny. And why? Because... Because they have real impact. They have, they real, have impact. real impact. They have real impact. Yeah. And that's yeah. one of the things that we really want to convey to people is that this, what happens in the academy does not stay in the academy. No, it's spread. It's spread yeah. throughout the world now. And I've, I've read some articles about some things that we've said on this show that are just fucking completely preposterous and taken totally out of context and presented as some evidence of, you know, whatever transgression that's Im- right. Im- Im- impossible to defend. Right. It's very strange. It's, it's a very strange time for... For communication, it's a very strange time for ideas. Yeah. But I also think it's really exciting. It's exciting that all this nonsense is going on. That's one of the things that I really loved about what you guys have done. It's exciting. It's exciting that you guys have you've infiltrated and had these fucking dummies public, not just publish your shit, but praise it. Yeah, and, yeah. and say how amazing it is that you wrote a bit about fat bodybuilding. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, fat that. acceptance is this one. Fat shaming and fat acceptance. They're, they're two preposterous phrases. They really are. You know, I mean, you, you shouldn't be mean to people. That's it. But fat shaming because someone's fat. No, you're, if you, you can't call me fat because I'm not fat. It doesn't work. Yeah, so that's it's real the, similar. That, so that body of literature, here's something that, that I learned when I, I read this, is they don't use the word obesity. Because this is really interesting. Because obesity, it gets back to what Jim was saying. Obesity is a narrative. It's just a story. So they use the word fat. Excuse me. So there's not obesity bodybuilding. There's fat bodybuilding. And there are all these narratives. So why would one want to buy into one narrative rather than another narrative? Why is fat okay and obesity bad? Ah, because... Obesity is a medicalized narrative, whereas That's right. fat is just a description. Yeah, so you, they're rejecting medicalized terms. Well, they call it a healthism, 
I'm not making that up. What? Healthism is a narrative. It's a power structure where healthy and thin people are imposing their view of how body should be yes. on fat and, there's and unhealthy thin, people. And there's thin privilege. Like, they'd look at you and you've got all the, you know, because you're muscular too, so you wouldn't just be straight, white, heterosexual, cis, yeah. et cetera. I mean, you've the, got health privilege. You, and You've got health privilege. Fitness and so privilege, probably. Thin fitness privilege. privilege. Sure. Also an ableist. Yeah, ableist, yeah, yeah, exactly. you've got that it, privilege. Well, Dude, you're really, <laughs> you're really, it, that's not good for you. Yeah, it falls into that. So um, Health privilege, <clears throat> that's real? That's a, that's a real one yeah, they're and, using? And they also claim to be uh, the ha- healthy at every size movement. You can be healthy at every size, and obesity is just a medicalized narrative. Yeah, and that's really important, though, because the, the point of that is to say if your doctor tells you you're fat and it's a health concern, then you don't have to listen. Yeah, that is a – I've read that before. And, and I read an yeah. article by this woman who was morbidly obese. Charlotte Cooper? I don't, She's I don't the know main, what her name was. Yeah. But she was talking – she was also using – like really misusing some studies uh, on – there was some there, – there, there have been some studies on people who are overweight and that there could possibly be some health benefits to being overweight. These studies have been widely dismissed now. Not only dismissed, but they go in direct contrast to the great volume of studies right. that show how terrible it is for your health to be that that fat and that heavy. But this person, I don't remember who it was or why she was doing this, but she was clinging to these one or two studies that have been dismissed. Right. These are biased epidemiological studies that have been dismissed, but she was put, putting them in this blog as if this is some sort of evidence that not only is it not unhealthy to be fat, but it might be healthy right. to be fat. And yep. now think about this person in an academic position as a professor teaching young people this, particularly young girls. Particularly young girls who might have eating disorders. Exactly. Yep. Health, a white privilege? <laughs> what? <laughs> yep. Oh my God, is this real? Yeah. This is a real paper? Is definitely real. Oh this my is how this stuff God. goes, man. They think it's a. They think it's like when the doctor says you're overweight. It's a concern for your health. They see that as a form of fat shaming, saying that they're not all right the way that they are. They're not being accepted the way that they are. There's a power dynamic that healthy people are imposing upon overweight people. They have myriad issues that they come up with. And I mean, sure, some of these complaints have got to be somewhat real. You know, they don't make as many oversized clothes. Or, you know, plus size clothes. It's yeah. harder to get styles. Or there's some legit stuff. You know, that they might want to say, hey, well, can we do something about this? But on on the other hand, the whole thing that, like, saying that it has nothing to do with health, it has nothing to do with your, like, triglyceride levels, heart it's disease, cr- It's just, it runs, it's anti-evidence. It runs yeah. in the face of every conceivable piece of evidence. They're teaching kids this, they're in schools, and there are classes, fat studies classes, and there's an actual... Whoa, 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 whoa. There's fat studies? There's fat studies. Yeah, that's fat the journal studies. that published the fat The journal is fat studies. Jamie's going to bring it up. The journal... <laughs> <laughs> I told you, Pete. I told you, thirty million people are waiting fat to find out. Studies, that yeah. fat studies, yeah, interdisciplinary journal of body weight yeah. and society. This is and this is what Jim was telling me. He's like, when when we do this, thirty million people are going to now know that there's something fat studies. Now, fat studies doesn't do what you think it does. You probably think, oh, fat studies. You know, what are triglycerides? How much right. should you exercise? No. Nope. What's a good diet? How much sugar is too much sugar? Well, that is absolutely not what this journal does. Frozen, a fat tale of immigration. What the hell? Crafting weight stigma. Hold on a second. 
crafting weight stigma in slimming classes, a case study in Ireland. So, so I'm telling you, you go to a slimming class, you're going to go lose weight, you take a take a fitness class or something, whatever slimming classes are. Fatness and temporality. And they use a stigma against being fat. They, they basically say fat's bad for you. <laughs> Look at this one. Theorizing fat oppression intersectional approaches and methodological innovations. You just said a bunch of nonsense. The oppression of fat people is built into institutions, pervades the cultural landscape, and affects... <laughs> dude, we could have written this. And affects the relationship and perceptions of people of size. People of size. Uh, it is its introduction to the special I issue love on... people of size fat. is not the new people of color. Yeah, right, exactly. Yeah. Oh, yeah. That's the, the new black. Parallel. That's <laughs> well, right. people of color is a problem now, too. You yeah, split you can't that say up. people of color. That's well, you can, but you see there's people of color, and then there's B-I-P-O-C, which I don't know how you pronounce it. I don't know if it's BIPOC or what. But uh, that would be black and indigenous people of color because they have even more oppression than the other people of color, and they've got to fight over more who gets More than <laughs> yellow people of color? Yeah, for example, or probably well, that, brown. Is that why Harvard can discriminate against Asians, Asians that are trying to get in? Let's tap our noses and just move on, right? <laughs> so, so, but then that's even a problem because indigenous has recent, recently been branded a racist term because you're not actually what? honoring— Yeah, you're not hitting the actual tribal identity. If you get right on the cutting edge of the stuff, it's like— Really going into meltdown. Indigenous mode. is because it's too random. Well, yeah, you're, it's too. You're, not, you're generalizing. You're, not you're Cherokee. What exactly? Navajo, yes. Yeah. Mm, Nez Perce. Yeah. Okay. So well, you can see again the competitive victimhood going on. Who gets to claim more of the the victimhood pie? And oh, now we've got this thing about people of color, so they get you know victimhood status. But why, if that goes to all people of color equally, that's not fair because these people of color are even more discriminated against, so they should get more of it. It's really, they're fighting over a piece of a pie of, of victimhoodness. <laughs> I love the Canadian term, First Nations. First Nation people, it's, it's a better term because really, mm. fucking every single human being that came to North America came from somewhere else. Yep. I mean, so speaking of which, in the in the fat since we're talking about in the fat bodybuilding paper, oh, yeah. I put in a Star Trek reference at the end. I love Star Trek. I put in something like fat bodybuilding is the final frontier for fat activism. Oh, they didn't like that. No, they didn't like that. They said it was. Uh, they said that we couldn't use the word frontier because it evokes imagery of the genocides <laughs> of the American Native Americans to choose a different word. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. So when frontier, you're, holy shit! Yeah, you're, Think about Frontier Airlines, right? What's up with them? They're yeah. in trouble. They're Your fucked. whole worldview is so utterly distorted and twisted, and Ugh. the things you believe are totally untethered to reality. But yet, you believe there's knowledge. You believe it's knowledge because it's published. And here. think about what it does to the students that pick this stuff up. You go to college, you pick this up, you start majoring in it. You could be majoring in something where you actually learn to do critical thinking to engage with ideas. If you're Dis if you're if you're disadvantaged going into college, that's your best chance to get out of that situation exactly. is to to grapple with great critical thinking, learn some great skills, whether that's you know engineering and the sciences, something like that. Whether it's even if it's you want to get into like studying race and sociology, soft sciences, or you want to get into just literature, do it honestly, and you're going to get somewhere. But you get into this stuff where you can literally just make up your conclusions. What are you doing? You're teaching these people how to think about problems. They're seeing, you know, the burger in the Santa Monica Pier is a problem now. Every, I see it everywhere I go after I did this for a year. So you, you get the people in the habit of seeing problems everywhere. Are you helping them? 
Are, are you, you guys getting them out write of the a problem? book about this or anything? You know, yeah, we might one day. It's I don't know. It's a great idea for a book. The it's... hard part is we could actually probably write 10 books. So condensing it down to a book, usually you got an idea and you got to blow it up to a book. Right. We have to condense this yeah. down to a book. And I there... think talking about the problem, like just explaining what you've already explained on this podcast and, and, and actually having those studies that you did publish and and the whole thought process behind yeah. creating them would be well, a great book. Well, we got a documentary happening about it. Um, yeah. Oh, yeah? Mike Nana is a documentarian from uh, from Australia that, that got hooked up with us. Is he a white male? He's not. He's, he's brown. Not. Oh, he's half yeah. black. He's thank half God. black. Watch out. Tell him how we met Mike. Oh, yeah. So um, it's interesting because we were starting out this project, and then we ended up talk you know we couldn't talk to anybody about it it's so hard to keep a fucking secret this yeah. big right you just want to tell people like you aren't going to believe what i'm doing I can't tell anybody so we find a few trusted friends we're telling this one guy a buddy of ours and he's like oh my god i know a documentarian who's making who's like investigating all this shit going on in the universities already he's already interested would you guys be interested this would be a compelling documentary would you guys be interested in talking to him so we we get in touch with him and he's like listen you know, I'll shoot this. I think there's a there's a film here. I think you're going to ruin your career, so that's what I'm going to film. But in any case, I'll film this. But here's the deal. I'm only going to shoot it if you commit 100% to transparency. Let me tell the full story, honestly, what's really happening. You know, we don't get to sugarcoat anything and make you guys look good. And, of course, he thought we were just going to crash and burn. Yeah, and that's what he lives. told us later. He's like, we. the only reason I agreed to this is I was sure that you guys were going to torpedo your careers, like positive. Yeah, and so he, he thought it was, a, you know, going to be that – and he would have to like convince us to let him show it because we wouldn't want to. But does he know that you don't work in academia anymore? Yeah, yeah, yeah. But we were doing the project. So we reached out to him and said, well, through well, the why, mutual well, friend. How would it ruin your career? Well, I maybe would never get another job if I wanted to go back into academia, for example. Okay. Or, yeah. I mean, I still, it hasn't happened yet, but you see people who do academic misconduct get banned from ever publishing academic papers again. That could still come down for me. I don't know. what It probably won't, but it might. And if it does, you know, then if I try to get a job working for like a think tank or university or anything that depends on that, I'm locked out of that now. So um, it especially he's going to ruin Pete's career too, let's yeah. be honest. He works in he works in not just a university, but Portland State. You know, it's yeah. like ground zero. Do you think zero. it's over for you? I don't know. I don't know what's going to happen. <laughs> the people, when it's over for sure, they're always like, I'm not sure. I don't <laughs> yeah, know. Yeah, I don't know what's going to happen. I yeah. don't know. It, it's best not to prognosticate too much with, with all this stuff. You see, now, we talked about Brett Weinstein and Heather uh, Hying. They got firebombed, right? Their thing just blew up, blew the hell up. And then they got pushed out of their jobs. But in a sense, it's like, I don't know. I was talking to them when we were in Portland, and it feels like they kind of took the fall. And people are like, whoa, that's too far. And I don't know if that's the case or not. But if so, whoa, whoa, maybe. what's too far? Like pushing people out of their jobs, like students patrolling the campus with bats trying to find Brett to pull him out of his car if he showed up. Yeah. Like that, I don't care who you are. That's too far. I mean, that's not even civil society well, anymore. Who thought that was too far, though? The students oh, did? Not there, but a right. lot of people. Like people well, saw this enrollment stuff. Enrollment is. Like, did you think it was too yeah. far, right? I thought it was insane. I thought yeah. the government should have come in and shut down the school. Yeah, yeah tons really of people. Did. 
tons of people around. I mean, like everyday people who saw this story think, "Whoa, shit! This stuff's gone too far." The yeah. fact that they're allowing that guy to remain as president. Oh yeah, Bridges is nuts. still there. It's absolutely nuts. It's absolutely nuts. When, they, when there was that scene in the, the wherever it was conference room or wherever it was, when the kids were telling him to put his hands down. Yeah. Because he's being aggressive with his hands. Yeah. And he puts his hands down, and they start laughing. Yep. It's like, what yeah. in the fuck is this? Yeah. It is a system set up to where you can't win. Is what it is deliberately. But it's hilarious. Well, it when is. They were laughing at him. He put his hands down. They're like, stop making hand gestures. You're being aggressive. He puts his hands down. They start laughing. They start laughing yeah, at him. I, I didn't find it funny. I found it terrifying. It's, yeah. I found it terrifying for what it means for all of us. Yeah, if that if that can happen at a college campus, I mean, that's where ideas are supposed to be shared, discussed, explored, etc. Yeah. If that can happen at a college campus, everything's up for grabs at some point. It's, well, that college campus is really strange, right? It's I mean, really strange. They're struggling now. Enrollment's they're, down. Yeah. Well, well, radically. Yeah. Radically I mean, down. Yeah. I mean, they could literally go under because of this. It which, looks like it might happen, yeah. It's too bad because when it was doing well, as Brett was explaining, it was a wonderful place to yep. teach because uh, he could do whatever he really wanted Really cool to. stuff. He could take them to the park and they could do a class in the park. Right. They could... He, he could have a class where, you know, whatever, regardless of what he's teaching, he could teach about something else. Right. Yeah, crazy field trips somewhere, yeah. you know, all this stuff, you know, adventures with the it's, students. It's such Didn't a, the creator of The Simpsons go there, too? Speaking of The Simpsons, he? I think he was an alum from there. Hmm. It's such a shame because they're just such decent people. Right? Yeah. Now. They're just such oh, Brett, kind. They're great. They're both great. They're on both the left, so smart, too. So Really, legitimately smart and fiercely progressive, and both of fiercely humans. progressive. They're yeah. decent humans, of and course, yet, which that means they're alt right adjacent. Right, right. <laughs> it's just fucking hilarious, man. These people. It's a strange, strange time for ideas, but I think this is a. It's it's also sub. It's some sort of a symptom of this culture that we live in. Where everyone gets to voice their opinion, everyone feels entitled to voice their right. opinion because of social media mm -hmm. and because of this instantaneous ability to post whatever you feel about anything, whether it's a comment on YouTube or a tweet or a Facebook post. This nature of everyone putting in input instead of earning your right to be heard, you know, and through merit and through your work and through people saying, hey, this guy is smart. This girl has great ideas. Mm. This person really has some good points. That's yep. Tom, Tom Nichols' ideas. Before, we used to criticize people from a point of expertise. Now people who have absolutely no expertise feel that they're entitled to not only criticize, but have everybody else listen to their criticisms. Now, yeah. I think you're on onto something with the social media, right? Because you post something, and it gets like four interactions, and you're like, Why? Well, how come Joe Rogan's thing got like 4,000? It's not fair. Right. Right. And so there's this like kind of competitive jealousy kind of thing going on. And I think we've, we've seen that a lot. You know, these kind of, you know, people who don't have a lot to bring to the table and they want to get, you know, maybe it's a spot on a podcast. Maybe they want to get on, uh, you know, a conference or something, a speaker at a conference. And we've seen this for years. What happens is, well, you know, you got some big name that's coming. Well, let's just like can him and say, well, he's a sexist. He said this terrible thing. Now he can't be at the conference or we'll protest. Yes. Get him out, put one of our guys in. Or when they start to get more power, it's like, let's make sure half of our people are there or else we're going to make sure that we say your conference is racist. Then that becomes like just a hot mess. Nobody wants to go to the conference. It's not going to be financially soluble. So it falls apart. I mean, this stuff has been going on. This seems to be what's going on. And I think you're touching something where social media, and Tom Nichols talks about it too, generating a kind of narcissism where people feel entitled, like, I have a voice, 
nobody's listening to me, but they should listen to me because they, of course, think their, their ideas are great. And the rise of social media coincides with shutting down speakers. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Speakers on campus. It didn't used to happen that way. It used to be even if people protested it, the speech went on and people debated that person. Or yep. the people got a chance during the Q&A section to challenge yeah, these ideas. That's what it's all about. That's you, what it's supposed to be all about. Yeah. You yeah. know, if you have a problematic person, you have a person that you feel is – they have ideas that are questionable. You bring in a person whose ideas you feel are counter to right. those exactly. ideas. And you let the audience see how these individuals discuss these things. Yep. When I was in high school, Barney Frank debated some guy from – he was some – very conservative person i forget what the there was a, a a ridiculous conservative group that had some really funny name uh I, I forget what it was but he was like this really canned ronald reagan style conservative and barney frank was i think he was still in the closet back then but he was this like very articulate powerful left-wing guy and they they did it inside you know this court this uh uh, community center in our high school, whatever it was, you know, some um, auditorium. And I got a chance to watch this one guy talk about all these different, what you know, whatever it was, gay marriage or whatever his conservative ideas and values and you know, a marriage should be between a man and a woman and all these these different things that would – Today, at a lot of college campuses, you'd want those shut down. You don't right. want someone propagating these ideas. Right. But Barty Frank came on after him and eloquently dissected what was stupid about it and what the Constitution is all about. What makes America great is our freedom and our ability yep. to express ourselves. And, and by doing so, me as a 16-year-old kid and the audience got to see ideas dissected right. and ideas debated and see two people – from polar opposite perspectives, just battle it out and and let the best idea win. And I'm sure there was probably some people that were in that audience that came out of it with a different perspective. Like, yeah, gay people shouldn't get married. And yeah, marriage is supposed to be between a man and a woman. I'm sure of it. I'm sure of it. And that's what happens in a democracy. Yes. Yeah, you're talking about the very foundation of liberal society. You're talking about John Stuart Mill here. I mean, you're talking about... John Adams, you're talking about the foundation of a liberal society here, and that's what the scholarship runs that we looked at runs directly counter to this. Remember, the idea is that if people are putting out language, the idea that some people are going to come away with a heteronormative idea or a homophobic idea, that's already a catastrophe. Yes. So we can't allow it. We got to pull the speaker wires like a Demore event. We've got to. We yeah. can't let that go on. Yeah, that's my point. It's like, <clears throat> what happened where? You know, these kind of interactions between contrary ideas is so – it's 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 so dangerous that one or two people could possibly be shifted. I mean, even if it's 30 percent of the audience, I mean, who the fuck knows what, what's going to happen when people are sitting there listening? And who's to say that you're right or you're wrong? The, the way to challenge ideas is not pulling the plug on the speakers. Right. It's, it's better ideas. If, and, you, if you fundamentally subscribe to the idea – that heteronormativity, let's use it as the example, if heteronormativity is the power structure that's holding down gay people and preventing them from having equal opportunities, if you fundamentally believe that, anybody else getting convinced, anybody being reinforced under the idea of heteronormativity isn't just a few, like 70% changed their mind and 30% stuck with it. That's just 
bolstering the already imagined to be completely dominant view. It's really kind of anti-progress, right? Because yeah. it, it views the idea that power structures can't change. They're always yeah. rooted in some identity. Whoever has, you know, there's more straight people than gay people. Or, okay. So therefore, straight people always have power. Therefore, anything that reinforces heteronormativity is going to be a catastrophe that reinforces the next thing you know, people are going to be beating gays in the snow or something like that. It's also the complete infantilization of young adults. Because you're, you're telling right. me these young adults aren't smart enough to differentiate between good ideas and bad ideas. Well, if they're learning all this grievance study stuff, like I just said, their critical thinking is yeah. getting hobbled. But right. here's my but, point. If you are a person who's a young, progressive, well-read person who's got some rock-solid ideas about people being able to live their lives without discrimination and all the things that I'm sure we all agree on, and you sat and listened to some right-wing, alt-right asshole spewing hate, is it going to change you? Is it no. going to affect you? Of course it's not. No. So who is it going to affect? Like, who, who are these ideas going to reach? Why do we assume that people are so much more easily influenced than we are? What, what is that about? This is an, this infantilization it of is. young adults. It is. It's That's bubble wrap it on kids. It's yeah. fucking, it's nerfing the world. And Sharp yep. corners, got to put a fucking cushion exactly. over and it. Exactly. And Luke Kanoff and Hyde just published that, a book, The Coddling of the American Mind. Yeah. Uh, the, yeah. And, yeah. And, and, and uh, I think if you look at Hyde's work and the Heterodox Academy, and he's fighting for this, but we have infant, infantilized people. We have infantilized students. And I don't. I hope that the tide is changing. I don't know. One of the things we wanted to do with this project is give people the opportunity to speak out and say, you know, they don't speak for me. I want to hear what someone has to say about immigration, the other side, quote unquote. Sure. I want to hear what I want to hear the best arguments because then I want to engage them myself. And, you know, I also think that we should have people of all. I think it's a, a problem that people are, who, who go into teaching. I can't remember the study I read that overwhelming percentage of people, college educators are on the left. I'm on the left. I think that's a problem. I think that they need diverse voices. Diversity also has to be ideological diversity. And if you want people to be less brittle and if you want people to be less infantilized, they have to hear the other side, but they have to hear, this is also Mill's idea, they have to hear it from people who believe it. Yeah, mm. that's in John Stuart Mill's book on liberty. It's not enough to have heard that the other side the argument from the other side exists. You need to hear the best case put forward by people who really, really subscribe to it yeah. and then work against that. If you can defeat that, then it deserves to be defeated, right? Yeah. And th this is the thing. I think, you know, in general, human beings, we, we all put forth our best ideas and we're all wrong most of the time. We're all, we can be a smart guy or a smart woman, whatever. We're all pretty stupid. We put forth a lot of ideas. Most of them are wrong. It's true for everybody. True for you, me, everybody. And what we should really be relying on is, you know, I put down an idea and you're like, well, I don't know about that. And so we start cutting away the bullshit that I tucked into my idea, the stuff I didn't have right. We do that. And now the idea that survives that process is better. And then somebody else comes along and says, wait, 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 that part's probably a little bit bullshit. But this, you could add to it right. and it'd make it better. And then some of that's wrong. And this that's, is the process of how we really produce knowledge. Right. Yeah. And it's a, it's a, it, that's what gives us a vibrant culture, too. Right. And as opposed to what we see here, where I can, we, the three of us can make up a conclusion and write a paper to support it. And then if you criticize it, you had to have criticized it because you were sexist or because you were racist. If you do a scientific test that shows that it's wrong, 
the science must have been sexist or racist. <laughs> you know, anything yeah. once you're doing that, you're just you're really in the weeds. You're not helping anybody. Yeah, right. and we need to study these areas, gender and race, but we need to do it right. Yeah, and, and we, we need, need to, to do it freely, where you could just talk, right. and you, you don't you, you don't get accused of all sorts of horrible transgressions. Exactly, yeah. and that's not that's the culture that I that we want to see in here, yeah. and that's not the culture we have. Well, I think there's you know everyone is railing against identity politics, and I think we can all agree identity politics are a huge problem. Yeah. But another problem that goes along with it, hand in hand, is identifying personally with ideas. Where these ideas are connected to your ego, your identity, to, your, to identity. who you are. Exactly. Yeah, I wrote a you book cling about to that. Them. Did you? Yeah. What's it called? Everybody's wrong about God, and it sounds like <laughs> I'm just going to go after religion, but it's actually the culmination of my study of religious psychology. And so, really, what it was was targeting. I mean, it talks about what's going on with religion and why people believe religion and what God actually stands for in terms of you know psychology as it might see it. But then what it was really targeting was I saw all these people who were like, you know, loudmouth atheists. And they were like this and that and the other thing. And they have this whole community. And I saw, holy shit, they're doing the same thing. Yes. Right? They're doing the same thing. And what are they doing? They're identifying as an atheist. I am an atheist. Yeah. What does that mean? Well, I want to be a good atheist. How the fuck do you be a good atheist? That doesn't make any sense. Do you remember Atheism Plus? Atheism Plus was exactly what I was looking at, bro. My favorite. That was gold. I I watched a whole speech, like like smoking a joint and laughing my fucking ass off (laughs) at this dork who was speaking in front of some other group of dorks that were all part of the Atheism Plus movement. And he just kept just ranting about sexual harassment Mm -hmm. and diversity and all these different things that t- and attaching them to atheism. Exactly. Like, Motherfucker, you're making your own religion. Exactly. That's exactly right. Exactly. That's exactly right. Exactly right. Yeah. Hydro Rogan saw it straight through it. You know, there it is. <laughs> I was laughing. Dude, it was so... Because the guy was such a virtue signaling little weasel. Oh, totally. Yeah. Totally. It was sneaky like, fucker. Doing. Yeah, sneaky, sneaky little fucker. fucker. Yeah, a little sneaky fucker that was trying to get girls to like him. Yep. I guarantee yeah. you that. Yep. You see what, what it is, though. Is I got to be a good atheist. How do I do it? Well, I right. don't know, because atheist means don't believe stuff of a certain kind. So they but have to start tacking... plus yeah, was so plus. strange. Yeah. And it was plus what? That plus social off. justice. How did that... It died off because it didn't work. Well, Guys those people are still laid. grumbling around or whatever, but... Oh. Oh, happened, I, I think doubt they, it. Oh, they got a whole blog. They really? complained about our project. Yeah. Ah, you know they what they us. said? They're still there. Yeah, we're What'd straight white men. Oh, well, you're yeah. straight white men. We're therefore, problem. we have bad motivations. Motivations, that's what we get all the time. Yeah, because we're straight white men. Because yeah. bad, ma- bad white men, straight white men are basically like a little arrow running around looking for vaginas. And anything <laughs> you say is basically just a little sneaky way for you to get inside of a vagina. <laughs> and all of this little stuff, you just, you just try mm, making your way through society. It's a little ironic when you put it that way. (laughs) Um, It's what it is, right? But the truth is, though, if they think that... that, I mean, this is the article of faith here, is that privilege exists and always preserves itself. So we're straight white men. We criticized what's supposed to be, but isn't, social justice work. It's bad social justice work, you know, capital social justice. It's screwed up. So we criticize that. Therefore, why? We must be, because we're white men, trying to preserve our status. Of course. You guys are a problem. That was the depth of their, their... Analysis, given that they're, you know, like some of them are professors and stuff, that's the best they could come up with. And wouldn't it have been better to say, you know what, there's a problem here. Yeah. And we want to study this stuff and we need to clean house. 
And thank you, guys. We appreciate it. But you would have to step so far out of your belief system and be so objective and so self-aware that you're realizing you're in some sort of a preposterous group. And very few people are willing to admit that most of their life's work has been nonsense. Yeah, especially when you get rewarded for that, you get yeah. promoted for that, you yeah. get accolades from that. You carry you status and privilege. Look, I mean, when people join some fucking wacky cult, like, they don't join it saying, ah, this is bullshit, but it'll be fun. They, they right. believe it. Right. They buy into it. Yeah. Right. And this is no different. It's like what we're talking about, about ideologies, how people, they lock into these predetermined patterns of thinking right. and behavior. And this is what's happening here. Yep. And it's very much like a cult. It's very much like any other groupthink yep. sort of environment. It's like where, Scientology grew yes. up in the university. Yes. So everything they put out about thetans and volcanoes or whatever they've got, all of a sudden, that's not like just crazy, you know, L. Ron Hubbard, was it Dianetics or whatever. That's gold standard knowledge, academic press, Oxford, you know. Yeah, that's how you get a degree. Yeah, and then you get to teach it. And yeah. as somebody somebody wrote an article criticizing us yesterday, and they're like, oh, they don't understand. You know, they think we just talk to each other in a bubble. We talk to policymakers. We talk to media. And it's like, no shit. That's why we did this. You know, right. you talk to you. You do talk to other people. You are running into, you know, PR, uh, sorry, HR departments. You're telling them how to do their diversity officers. They're institutionalizing. And all this. They're institutionalizing. They're and to talk yeah. to policymakers. I get emails. I don't know if you saw a year before all this, we did this really, you know, bad attempt at it called conceptual penis as a social construct. So we said that penises are a social construct and they cause climate change. <laughs> and this got a little bit of attention. I've been getting emails ever since then from some member of EU parliament. And they're like, we have another gender initiative that we're going to try to basically foist upon you know, EU. And then it's going to like dictate how Europe now works with Africa going forward about climate. And so because I wrote this conceptual penis and climate change thing, and it's all based on you know making fun of gender studies, it was at the time anyway, they were like, you know, you're an expert. So now the EU's calling me, you know, what do we do about this gender initiative? But that's real, right? The EU parliament's not like nothing. That's right. not, that's not, you know, it's not like a meeting of some dorks mm. at a conference. That's real. They're coming up with policy to dictate how they want to inter interact with, with Africa for the next, you know, 20, 30 years. That's mm. real. And th these people are emailing me saying this scholarship that you guys are criticizing is really, you know, it's on the agenda of the EU Parliament, so help. All right. Well, it seems like what we're what we have here is sort of a wave of ideas, right? It, it goes in and it goes out, and it's going back and forth, and yep. it, you you need this sort of balancing act. And yeah, I agree. It, things need to go so haywire that people step in and go, "Well, I'm pulling my fucking kids out of Evergreen State. Yep, this is crazy." Yep. And it, it, that's a great example of a place that went too far. Yep. Yeah, and what we don't want to have happen is we don't want people to pull their kids out of the universities nope. because there are some— Not the university, but these departments don't major in it. Exactly. Don't major in it. But it's Which, which department specific? Gender studies, critical race studies, cultural studies, queer theory. Um, fat studies, if it happens to have one. I read a, 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 a biography of a guy who teaches critical whiteness. Oh, yeah, critical whiteness is a thing. <laughs> that actually, there was a journal, and then it got it, it got so out there that it got criticized out of existence. But mm. it's a big thing. Uh, there's some big paper I was reading just before we went public with all this, and I got asked about it. Luckily, I read it because we did the Mein Kampf. Of course, Israel's like, you got Mein Kampf published. Oh, my God, we need to talk to you. Israel, like, 
TV, you know, I was on Israeli TV. What the hell? And so I, all these Israeli journalists are calling me, talking to me about it, and um, over the Mein Kampf, and I read this one paper. They're like, well, do you think that Jewish studies is like this? And I found this paper just before this all came out that was Jewish studies criticizing critical whiteness studies because there's this whole thing about how the critical whiteness people accuse the Jews of being white, and mm. then there's all this, you know, who's where does the oppression lie because, you know, the Jews have had it pretty rough over, you know, the last 2,000 years or thereabouts. Um, but then you got the critical whiteness people being like, no, they're white. It's a white privilege, blah, blah, blah. And then the Jewish studies people are like, hold up, you know, don't put us up here and say that we're all white supremacists. You know, we were gassed by the white supremacists. Mm. You chill out. Yeah. So there's this huge, like, critical studies fight between the Jewish studies people and the and the critical whiteness people over whether Jews count as white people or not and have white supremacy built in. And they asked me about this, the Israeli journalist did, and I was like, well, you know, I have to sympathize with, with what their, their argument is, but they're still using the same broken methods, and so you still want to see better methods, right? I think the, the, the Jewish people have a point. You know, we've been pretty heavily oppressed for 2,000 years. You start with, like, you know, the Romans decimating them and then the diaspora and then the Holocaust and every it's just not good. So I think they have a point that, you know, don't just say, oh, we have crazy white privilege and are therefore white supremacists. But if you want to do that, you know, maybe this this methodology of, of, of complaining about it's not the best way to go. Mm. It's complicated stuff, but at least they, they're against the critical whiteness stuff. Mm. This critical whiteness thing you were saying is is they have a journal? They did. The uh, Journal of Whiteness Studies or cr something like that, or critical whiteness. It? it lasted for about three years, and I don't know exactly why it fell apart, but it fell apart because I, I was really upset because I wanted to send a paper to it, and it doesn't <laughs> exist anymore. <laughs> what, are you, what were you going to send a paper on? The rewrite of Mein Kampf where the, woman, the lesbian woman excoriates her own whiteness. I was going to send it to that journal, and then it doesn't exist anymore. So I had to send it to a critical race journal who then said, ah, it's a good idea, but you're, you're positioning yourself as a good white, and that's a problem, uh, so we can't All these papers, by the way, we, we're, they're all online. We were completely transparent yeah. and honest with everybody. You could, yeah. There's a Google Drive. A Google Drive with every paper, <coughs> and all the, the peer-reviewed comments. All the comments. review comments, the, everything, the Mike Nana's videos, everything is up there. Yeah. It's totally free for everybody. <laughs> yeah. yeah, we get accused of being grifters. We don't have... How? How are we grifting? You know, there's, it's, it's in a Google Drive that anybody can just go download all of it. I don't recall getting yeah. money for that. We, we want to, we really do think that, that and I'm, yeah, <laughs> yeah, there you go. Swedish professor rebels against oh, yeah, universities' critical whiteness This is new, studies. yeah. Oh, yeah. A couple days ago. One of Sweden's most merited and acclaimed political scientists and long-term critics of identity politics, Bo Rothenstein, Rothstein has argued that identity-based disciplines like grievance studies, which deals with the concept of collective guilt, have no place in academia. Yeah, grievance studies is yeah, right on. Yeah, grievance studies. Fired. We, yeah, we 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 came up with grievance studies, so I'm delighted to see that that's caught on. Bo, yeah. to start a podcast immediately and a Patreon page so that you don't have to worry about losing your house. Right. Yeah. Right exactly. On. Right on. <laughs> I mean, I don't know how it is in, in Sweden. It's, yeah, I don't either. But, but that I mean, guy's probably look, screwed. Whatever the fuck. Mm. 
they did with Jordan Peterson. They created a goddamn monster. Mm. Oh, yeah. You guys fucked up. Whoops. You guys created a multimillionaire who's worldwide famous and right. is a huge bestseller. <laughs> he was just talking to Swedish politicians on TV the other day. Yeah. So, yeah, watch out. They yeah. fucked up with him. Boy, did they fuck mm. up. And Dave was just texting me, a friend Ruben was just texting me pictures that are all full. It's crazy. And the oh, yeah. energy Thousands in that place is seats. crazy. He's selling out 5,000 seat theaters. Yeah. He's a rock star. He's a fucking rock star. Yeah. He's an intellectual rock star. It's yeah. hilarious. Good for him. Yeah. I mean, look, a lot of other guys are doing it too. Sam Harris is doing that now as well. Yeah. They're doing these gigantic, huge speeches. It's yeah. like. Good for him. Fine. Well, absolutely good for him. But what I'm excited about is how many people are interested in the debate of ideas. Mm. And that this is not happening on the college campuses, but That's right. a lot of these people that are graduated from, have graduated from college or, or you know are in the working world, they're well, very fascinated by this. It's real. It's what you were saying. It's been suppressed for long enough. Now, you know, Jordan Peterson, what was his thing? He's like, you're not going to tell me the words I can use, well, right? When there's 78 different words for genders, mm. I can safely say you're fucking crazy. Mm. Yeah, that's it's. It's like this desperation to try to find a unique identity that you can consider to be super special or whatever. It's totally. But it's. It, and you want to see even crazier is you go into the, like you go on these blogs and I think they're mostly on Tumblr or something. It violates my rule never use Tumblr, um, where they talk about the different sexual sexuality identities, like different kinds of you know I'm interested in this kind of person but not this kind of person under these circumstances but not under those that has like some you know yeah. eighteen syllable academic word for it now. And there's people whose whole – I don't think they're academics. I think they're activists and geeks on Tumblr. But they come up with these crazy descriptions. And there's like hundreds of sexual orientations. Yeah, it's just people wanting to be different. I think they so. They want to be special and they're not good at anything. That's, I think, so a thing. That, so that yeah. was the other part of, I guess, one of the things that Jim said when I said I was more cynical. I think that the – in general, the, the critics tend to be angry and I'm not saying that their anger is legitimate or illegitimate, but they seem to be angry. They seem to be almost universally underaccomplished. Yes. So they're upset at you because you have whatever, a big show or waterfall, whatever they're upset about, big platform or audience. They're, they're just generally disagreeable people. And they found these communities of other people who are enraged, who are also underaccomplished, who they can la they can lash out at people together and then virtue signal, you know, yeah. get rewarded for oh, you know, Rogan that bat, whatever they want to call you or whatever they want to call us or whoever else, some kind of an oppressor, probably. yeah, some some for kind sure. of oppressor. And th there's something that it's so I don't know how we can deal with that. I mean, what, our attempt to do this was to try to delegitimize where they get their knowledge from, like what they call knowledge, so what they could point to. We tried to say it's not knowledge and delegitimize it. But we really do need to get back to some kind of productive discussion, productive politics, where the far right disown their lunatics and we disown our lunatics. Mm. And we get back to work about whatever, the oceans, plastic, whatever it is that we're talking about. Because right now the discourse is corrupted. It... We're not doing what we need to do in the academies. These people are continuing to pump out this nonsense that's totally untethered to reality. It's a huge problem. I'm sick of it. You're sick of it. We're all sick of We're it. We're all sick of it. We're sick of it. I'm sick of it. I've had it. I've had it with these folks. It just doesn't seem – it doesn't seem like it's sustainable. It it's, se it I seem, don't think it is. It seems like some weird thing that's going to run out of energy. 
Well, it's eating itself. Yeah. It constantly eats itself. Like we did the thing about the the people of color and the black indigenous people of color. They, they fragmented. You see when you get into the critical race literature that it's like, okay, so you're brown or you're black, but you have slightly lighter skin, slightly darker skin, slightly darker than that, really dark. Mm-hmm. They have different levels of privilege, and it's just cutting things apart. The idea, though, that this is going to create some kind of a coalition that can then defeat you know, the a plurality or something like that is ridiculous. It's exactly the opposite. So what do you see? You see yeah. this stuff starting to blow up. You see the Democrats bleed seats. They've lost like a thousand legislative seats across the U.S. since Obama got elected in 08. How are you going to get your agenda if you don't have any legislators, if you don't have anybody elected? And so then what happens? 2016. I don't. I can't say that the reason that Trump got elected, because there's lots of reasons, had something to do. Uh, no, I will say it had something to do with this, because every conservative person I know that's not just a reactionary is like, and I live in the southeast, man. I, I know some conservatives. Most of my friends are conservatives because I don't have a choice. If I if I want to have friends, they're going to be conservatives. It's who lives there. So I talk to them, and they're like, oh yeah, they're tearing down this kind of statue. Oh, yeah. it's to- And it's not like they're tearing down Confederate statues. They're tearing down Thomas Jefferson. You know, it's like they're... George you know, Washington. George Washington. Halloween's a problem. Then uh, the, whoa, whoa, whoa. I didn't know. You didn't know Halloween's a problem? No. What are you going as for Halloween? I'm a shark. You're a shark? My oh. kids are mermaids. Is that uh. my problematic? Oh, uh. God. If they're mermaids and you're a shark, you are definitely taking like a dominant <laughs> power. power position. Yeah. That's power. They pick my, they pick oh, my yes. outfit. Oh, I, don't, I don't pick my outfit. I have kids. Oh, oh. They tell me what I am. Mm-hmm. Is that uh, an issue? I don't know. I'll try to figure out a paper for that. <laughs> yeah. I but, think uh, what's wrong th- with Halloween? Th- Halloween? Yes. Oh, God. Cultural Hold appropriation. On. Sean White apologizes for Tropic Thunder Simple Jack costume. Oh, no. He oh, dressed up as a black he, person. He, no, yeah. Simple Jack is the uh, mentally handicapped oh, person. Oh, yeah. Okay. Okay. That's right. That's I don't right. Know Robert Downey Jr. might be the last guy ever to wear blackface. Yeah, that's true. And pull it off. When are they going to pull that that show? When are they going to pull Tropic Thunder? Is problematic. No, I don't even know I mean, the show. God, there's probably well, you a never paper. saw Tropic Thunder. Never. God damn, it's oh, a funny that's, movie. Uh, yeah, it's wonderful. You'll love it, and it's it's special. Entirely politically incorrect. Yeah, it's it's as politically incorrect. <laughs> writing it down. Tropic Thunder <laughs> is a it is a fucking great movie. It is a gem. It's All a right. great movie. See, it's now we're really going to be funny. racists and and ableist for saying that oh, it's yeah, funny. Oh yeah, for sure. We yeah. got real issues. We do. Have What's issues. wrong with Halloween again? Halloween is well, mostly it's there's a lot of cultural appropriation going on. So somebody might dress up like a put on a sombrero and a poncho. That's an issue. Yeah, and that's then they, <laughs> it's just a problem. Especially issue. on it's Tuesday, if we have tacos today, you yeah. know. Um, yeah, you can't be a Native American. You can't be a Native American. There's that big stink just now about um, the Victoria's Secret fashion show where they had like their indigenous, you know colors and the feathers they were wearing and walking around half naked you can't do that so it's the idea mostly that people are going to take costumes that are insensitive to other people cultural appropriation cultural appropriation so it's not possible can you still dress up as bruce lee Oh man, I don't know. Because maybe I think he's Asian so. for a while. For at Harvard, maybe because he's Asian and it gets complicated. <sighs> there. But no, this all blew up at, at Yale a few years ago. I thought mm. for sure. Yes. Yeah, Nick Christophos. Yeah, yeah. How do you say his last name? Uh, Christakis, I think. Christakis. Yeah, something. Yeah, so it blew up on, on him. Soon. Yeah, yeah, he's oh, cool. Oh, he's a good guy. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. That that was hilarious. Those kids screaming at him. Screaming this is supposed at him. To be a safe place. Yep. Mm. Mm. It was just his Yale. wife put out a, a, an email saying maybe it's okay to be politically incorrect on Halloween. And it was just, yeah, it was just, just you know choose your costume how you're going to choose it. We're all adults. It's probably bad to be deliberately offensive, and yet it's also bad to overreact to yeah. incidental stuff. Ugh. 
Mm. Oh yeah, it's, it's all this stuff. You know, like little girls, if they're white, can't dress up as Mulan and oh, that's right, Pocahontas. I, I forgot or about Pocahontas that. Mulan is, is a new pro- one. Yeah, yeah. Pocahontas problem. But I think Bruce Lee is still on the menu. Mm. I don't think anybody's gotten in trouble for being Bruce Lee. Huh. You could wear like the tracksuit. Like, yeah, I get the tracksuit. Uma Thurman did. Oh kill yeah, Bill. that's a right. big yeah. footprint across my chest, right? Uh, footprint. Yeah, we're Kareem oh, Abdul Jabbar. Right, him. right, right, right. But a lot of people go with the like the cuts. Oh yeah, the. Oh yeah, yeah. 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 I don't have enough abs <laughs> for that. That's gonna be a bad costume. <laughs> what is this? Yeah, you could buy a Bruce Lee costume. Look for at that. Now. For, for now. now. for now. For now. Who knows? Oh, it comes with a wig too. Yeah, dope. For now. Oh, even a baby costume. Look at that. Look at that. Oh, as long yeah. as you're Chinese, that baby's Chinese. That's fine. Yeah. Oh, that guy's fucked. <laughs> yeah, that guy's can't going be a down. kung fu guy. No. <laughs> no. Not allowed. Can't be a ninja. No, way too yeah. much cultural preparation. Uh, boy. This this mess that we're in. Is there a light at the end of the tunnel? I think so. Yeah? Yeah, I think so. Uh, the response that we've got so far has been really positive, but it's all like the secret positive. So the feeling I get is In that, academia. Well, from academics, yeah. The general public has been way more positive than that. Yeah. Super positive. Yeah. Super positive. So, Super supportive. So it, the, the wind is changing, right? right. If, if we're getting that much, we got no real blowback. We got, we got lots of positivity from the public. Even academics are reaching out. They're like secret positive. With them, it's like one more thing, right? We need a critical mass because what they are is they're all lined up. They know the first one to step out of line and challenge the stuff's getting shot. It's like the communist situation. Mm-hmm. After communism fell, nobody really believed it anymore, but they had to go along with the party or they're going to get shot. But if a whole bunch of people come forward at once, they can't shoot everybody. So it, it feels like we're in that powder keg situation now, right, where all it's going to take is we hoped it was going to be this. You know, yeah. our, our thing was going to be the trigger that let 30 percent of academics come forward and say, you know, it's bullshit. And if enough people start saying it, other people start feeling safe to say it. And we wish more people feel safe. You know, we took a risk. It's been fine for us. We'll see what happens to Pete. But if more people take that risk and start speaking out, then there's change coming. Now, you work, you were a mathematician. Yeah. And that's your background in, in academia. That would appear at least to be something that is beyond all this stuff because it's just dealing with numbers. Yeah, math itself mostly has not been touched by this but there's this whole branch in there that's called the studies of science and technology and mostly what they go after is you know the sciences or whatever that especially they go after um biology and psychology and they feel like they've got a lot of inroads into that we wrote the astronomy paper to try to push that all the way to a hard science we said that astronomy is sexist and can only be fixed by putting in queer horoscopes <laughs> they thought that was a good project. <laughs> they keep asking him to rewrite it. Yeah, they yeah. keep asking me to submit that. I got an email uh, yesterday asking for that one again. Yeah. So even though we've come public. So <laughs> with math, mostly where you see this stuff hitting, though, they don't – I mean, some people are saying that math has inherently got sexism or racism because I guess apparently women and, and minorities are going to be naturally bad at numbers is what they're assuming. I don't know what they're assuming. That's, a, that's ludicrous. But they mostly go after education. So they say, oh, look, the scores, the SAT math scores or whatever for, for men, white men are higher than for, for black men or something like that. Why could that be? Well, you know, maybe there are a lot of factors that go into that, but they don't give a shit about a lot of factors. It's racism. Mm. So therefore, math education must be racist. Therefore, we need social justice right. initiatives in math education. Right. And that's exactly. exactly what they do. And so then you have <laughs> diversity math, and I don't even know what that is. But it's not something that you would see like at mathematics research level. It's something that you see at junior high school, elementary school that they're teaching your kids, which is why it's scary as hell. Mm. 
So is there a light at the end of the tunnel? And what do you? Yeah, I still think there's. A light. I think people hate this stuff. I think people are people getting outside sick. Outside hate it. Hate people it. And people inside hate it. hate it too, though. But it's, they're afraid. Yeah, I had this guy come up to me repeatedly last week. This guy, he's got two PhDs. Brilliant guy. He comes up to me repeatedly. What you did is so important. It's so necessary. I can't talk about it. I'm sorry. I can't talk about yeah. it. I wish I could talk about it. But I talk to a lot of academics, and everybody's saying the same thing. They know you got them. It's only a matter of time now. One more event. And they shake off the fear. I think it's close. I don't know what the next event is. I don't think it's more bogus papers. I think it's probably somebody getting fired that didn't deserve it or something like that. One more thing, and people are going to be ready to shake this off. Why does this ideology infect tech companies? And it seems to get them more than it gets anyone else. I know. Demore, what is it? We should ask Demore that. I don't know. Yeah, well, that's a, he's, he's fucked. I mean, that yeah. guy can't get a job. He just got one. I just talked to him the other day. He just got one. Well, don't say where he's working. No, definitely no. not. They'll go after him. Yeah, I don't, I don't know why it's in tech so much. Maybe there's some kind of Silicon Valley connection there or whatever where, you know, Silicon Valley is in, you know, the kind of Bay Area, California. You've got a lot of the liberal hippie stuff that started out, as you were talking about, in the mm -hmm. 60s and 70s. So it's kind of in the water there. In general, I would say that what you're seeing is that this stuff has – they've. The, the big turn to making this applied was in the 90s, right? So they've had an entire generation of students that have just been really getting this stuff crammed down their throat. They really have taken over the education in the last 10 years. It was just starting when I left academia in 2010 that, you know, it was like, oh, we're going to focus on diversity. We're going to have diversity commit commitments. It's going to get in the general curriculum. So you're getting more and more students that are getting educated in this that are now going out into the workplace, Right, So if half your workforce in tech, because tech moves so fast, I'm just guessing why this might be a thing. Tech moves really fast, so you've got to have some fresh training mm. to go in there. Mm. If they've been educated with diversity stuff crammed down their throat the whole time, and there's huge initiatives to try to you know, increase representation of women in particular in, in tech, and these are seen as you know, automatically good initiatives if there's been this is the culture that they're that they're being educated in and then they take that culture to the workplace and think this is what tech is about and then they're surrounded by like-minded people who encourage it it's totally plausible that, that what you've got is sort of a tech echo chamber that's bouncing these things around and keeping it keeping it there here's another question why is it that I mean, it, it, here's 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 a scenario, right? The scenario is universities are almost predominantly taught by people that are on the left. True. It's massive. It's in the ninety percent range, True. right? When you have this sort of environment of these nonsense ideas that are accepted as fact and taught and and put into published papers. Then you have a situation where the left routinely attacks itself right. and, and, and devours itself right. mm -hmm. for not being left enough. You're always having people that are upset that someone's not progressive enough. Left-wing people attacking left-wing people. Right. You do not see that on the right. Well, you did. That's kind of what the whole Tea Party movement was, right? But they didn't do it in the academic field because they didn't have power there. Because they weren't academics. Right. Well, yeah, that shift started in the 60s and 70s. They started the bringing in the party field when – that was during the Obama administration, Yeah, right? so that's when – what was the biggest fear for every Republican congressman then was that they're going to get primaried from the right. Mm -hmm. So they were going to have some populist yahoo go screaming about whatever they scream about. It's going to be more to the right, harder conservatism, conservative movement, capital C, capital M kind of thing. 
and they're going to just drill into the, you know, the reason that that the conservative politics aren't succeeding is because we're not conservative enough. Is That's the, the prevailing view where I live in the southeast. Mm-hmm. It's the same thing as you see in the universities, but reversed in terms of, of polarization. Right. Uh, so, but the, isn't that just an excuse for the lack of success? It is. It's, it's, it, it's, but with the, with it, the it's, people on it's the an le- excuse combined with a commitment to the ideology, whether it's conservative movement ideology, whether it's uh, social justice, scholarship, whatever it happens to be. Right, but you see far more of these uh, left-on-left attacks than you do right-on-right attacks. You do right now, yeah, certainly. Except, of course, for election time. Sure. When people are trying to, you know, beat their opponents. Sure, sure, sure. It just—it seems to me that they're somehow or another related. I mean, I would like to look at how many people on the left will attack others— for not being progressive enough, not right. being left enough. So I versus... think it's a it's a panic, right? You see, this is the yeah. kind of behavior you see in a panic, a moral panic, for example. And so I, Helen and I, the, the third person who worked on the project with us, Helen and I wrote an essay about a year and a half ago and talking about how the extremism on both sides is really the problem and most people reject it and should fight it. Most of us are sensible people in the middle who hate this. In fact, data just came out showing that it's 80% of the population hate the fringes both sides yeah so and only eight percent are on the left and 12 percent are on the right of the fringe however that works out and so we wrote this thing and we said that what's going on actually we called it existential polarization so you have this idea that everything's an existential crisis so the the far right we'll start with them sees that if the democrats get power oh it's open borders the terrorists are coming in our entire way of life is going to be destroyed catastrophe catastrophe oh no judith butler is going to be 95 genders quick stop the democrats no matter what and then you have the left oh my god if they get power everything's going to be racist we're going to be beating gays in the snow it's going to just be the worst thing in the whole world that's actually kind of a joke but um, but it's it's for real though that they yeah. think that the world is going to fall apart if the other side gets power yeah. and so when you have that kind of a situation you have a panic and you see the slightest bit of advantage happening on the other side is just something to completely freak out about and then what do you do you say, oh, well, the only possible recipe to balance the scale is to turn further our way. If right. we go toward the middle, that puts the balance – say if the right goes really far right and we on the left move toward the middle, now the whole balance has moved right. So the only way to keep the balance close to the middle is if they go right, we go left. Right. Mm. Right? So yeah. then that's going to keep the balance. But what that actually does is it – this is going to get nerdy. Hang on. That actually puts all of the weight on the outsides. And you think about a spinning thing, Right. It's got centrifugal forces happening. What's that trying to do? It's going to rip the spinning thing apart. Well, if you have all the weight crammed in the middle, like a wheel, it doesn't come apart, right? Now, imagine if you had like two billiard balls and you have like this big long stick and there's two holes for the billiard bars. They don't go in it like locked in. They're just sitting there and you spin that. What's going to happen? They're going to fly right off, right? So if you have all the weight on the outside and you start spinning a thing, so that's like the political conversations, the dynamic, it's going to rip the thing apart the more weight gets to the outside. So one side going to the fringe doesn't mean the other side should go to the fringe. That's how you tear a nation apart. That actually makes a lot of sense if you can conceptualize it like an object. There's really a damn good YouTube video floating around out there where somebody takes a jet of water and spins a skateboard wheel until the centrifugal force gets so high from it spinning so fast it rips it apart. It's it's worth looking up. I don't know what the hell you'd search to find it, but... Mm. 
it's a it's a powerful visual, and you can see it as stuff moves to the outside. The centrifugal force goes up and up and up until finally the thing, the the structural integrity of the thing that's spinning can't hold itself together anymore, and it rips apart. Well, listen, gentlemen, and uh, shout out to your friend. What is her name again? Mike Nina. Oh, the, Helen Pluckrose. Helen. Oh, Helen Pluckrose. Pluckrose yeah. across the pond. Um, thank you guys for doing this. We really appreciate uh, thanks, it. Thanks for being here. Yeah, man. And uh, we appreciate you, your support because we need support. We we can't do this without support. So thanks for having us. And, my pleasure. Thanks for doing it. Um, where can people see these things? Where can they read them? The best place to go is going to be to go to our filmmakers YouTube page, Mike Nana, on the YouTube. That just N A N A N A Y N A N A Y N A. Yeah. So on his YouTube page is some videos. He's kind of playing with the footage that he's collecting for the documentary. On top of that, though, if you go to the video we originally released, which is on the page, you can find it easily. There's the link to the Google Drive. There's a link to all of the documents to, we put out. To link our to our Twitter. Piece, we explained ev- what every paper does, why we wrote it, what we were trying to show with writing the papers, what the problem is that we need to address, and what you know what we think that this shows and what we can do. Yeah, it's all accessible through his YouTube channel. We're kind of making that the central hub. And so people can go there and explore and watch some more videos of us. And Well, thanks for being here. This was a lot of fun. Yeah. Appreciate yeah. it. Again, I really appreciate what you guys are doing. Thank thanks, you. Man. Thank you. Bye, everybody. Thank you again. <laughs>